0: Welcome to the Hero Front Podcast, the 2022 Veteran Podcast of the Year winner. I'm your host, Josh White, and I talk with heroes around the world to inspire, educate, and to remind you that you are not alone. My own personal journey was marked by struggles like depression and alcoholism, which led me to almost lose my life. Now, after years of working on myself, I'm now blessed to say I have an abundance of pride and purpose, and I have made it my mission who share and spread these lessons by having insightful interviews with inspiring individuals, emphasizing trust, transparency, and meaningful conversation to drive positive action in our lives. Above all, I aim to inspire you to unleash your inner hero. We all have it in us, and it's time to bring it to the front lines of our lives. Let's get after it.
1: you know what so I did that yeah. defensive driving class today uh-huh. and today the lady that was instructing was like so I want you guys to sit down and determine how much money it's cost you blah 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 blah. and I was just like writing little numbers down and then I was like well I did lose like $700 a month and then I like multiplied it and I was like $20,000 mm. that hurt that was the first time I've ever like looked at how much money I lost because I lost rank. I know. It actually,
0: if you, if you added your retirement check, whatever is missing times, let's say 40 years. Yeah. That's yeah. another number too.
1: I was like, man, I was like, I don't even, that's the first time because like I knew I was losing the money, right? Like, but also like 500 of that was going to my brand new car. So I was like, ah, I kind of evened out anyway. Like I wasn't really using the money, like putting it to the mm-hmm. side. I was kind of wasting it anyway. But then, like actually figuring out how much it costs and not having that car, I was like, man, this blows. Jeez. Yeah.
0: Do you have any kids?
1: No. So I raised my ex's son from five to almost thirteen, but I don't have any communication with him right now. So. Because
0: you're not his biological mother.
1: Yeah. And my ex and I didn't have like a very easy split, like we fought pretty much the whole time. So, um, you know, he, he used my drinking against me for a while. And that was like, before I realized I actually had a problem. And so he was like, well, I don't want you drinking when you have him. And I was like, okay, but you drink every day. He's like, well, I don't have a problem. And I'm like, Okay. So the minute he found out I had a drink around his son, he let me did wouldn't let me see him again. Very honest, told my ex about it. And the very next day he had one of his coworkers come pick his son up for me.
0: Oh my God. Yeah. That's horrible.
1: We were my my stepson and I were supposed to go to Iceland um the day after that and he didn't let him come with me. Tickets were bought and everything. And oh, I was just cool. That's devastating. <laughs> I saw him a couple times before they left um, England, like three times total in like a year and a half. Uh, And then my ex ended up leaving our dog behind. And so I ended up taking the dog back from the people that had it. And uh, it was technically my stepson's dog. And so he went and told my stepson that I took the dog and that just ruined everything. And they got the dog back, but it just ruined everything.
0: Oh my gosh so like between you and your stepson
1: yeah yeah he called me he was like he's not your dog you shouldn't have him Da-da-da-da. he's like my dad never did this to you and I was just like, you know what that's that's a conversation for your dad and I like we're not gonna have you're your 13. this is not something that we're gonna discuss and I think that was the last time I talked to him that was in September or, or October of 2020. So wow. he just turned seventeen in December. So I'm hoping, you know, maybe he'll come around once he turns eighteen. But who knows?
0: Yeah. Um. Yeah, that actually kind of reminds me of my own childhood. I'm not even gonna lie. Like, but yeah. my dad, my dad raised me as a single dad for a while. Okay. Um, and then when he got married to my first stepmom, um, he was with her for ten years. And that's when he had the three half sisters that I mentioned earlier. Yeah. So, um, when, by the time they got a divorce, you know, it was really nasty. It was, it was bad. Um, cause wow. like their whole families like lived near Andrews air force base. And like, they all worked together at the guard building. Basically my family, they didn't flat out say pick them or us, but it, they kind of. That's kind of what the situation was. Yeah, And so I cut my stepmom out of my life because I thought she like basically disrespected my dad and, you know, kind of how like your stepson was talking to you. Yeah, I kind of had that same falling out with my stepmom. And so eventually I didn't hold it against her. Eventually it was just, I didn't emotionally know how to like bring that back yeah unfortunately that I won't ever get the opportunity she she passed away from a uh, like an overdose she she blacked out hit her head and she wow. and she passed away yeah. um and I mean that was kind of an eye opener for me yeah and i I immediately got close with that family after that
1: wow.
0: I say all that this is your episode I'm sitting here talking but
1: <laughs> you're good
0: I say all that to I think you should reach out to him.
1: Yeah, because... I want. I'm just. I think I'm gonna wait until he turns eighteen, just because I don't want any kind of like. Mm-hmm. It, it it was just not good. Like, I mean, when my ex and I were in England together, like I had a no contact order. Like wow. he went that far, like because he didn't want me talking to his son or to him.
0: Okay, well, when he is eighteen, I I would. Like, I was just thinking about myself and how I didn't know, I didn't really know how to make that connection again. You know, I was just too emotionally immature. Yeah. And so I just ignored it altogether. So it was like, that just felt like too much. So, knowing how I felt back then, I think you should yeah. reach out to him when he's 18.
1: Will. I definitely will.
0: I think it'll mean a lot to him.
1: Yeah. I mean, I was a big part of his life. Yeah.
0: Welcome to Hero Front, the podcast where we spotlight the extraordinary journeys of military service members. I'm your host, Josh White, and today we delve into the remarkable career of Sergeant Martinez. Sergeant Martinez's story began in August 2004, a tale woven with dedication, leadership, and unyielding commitment. Graduating from the Aviation Resource Management Apprentice course in November of 2004, she embarked on a trajectory defined by excellence. Throughout her 19 years of service, she has navigated pivotal leadership roles across, across squadrons, groups, and wings. Her journey encompasses joint service and special operations, including deployments in direct support of Operation Enduring Freedom. Driven by a thirst for knowledge, she pursued educational milestones, including Airman Leadership School in Germany, an associate degree in aviation management and a bachelor's degree in organizational management from the University of Arizona Global Campus. From Lackland Air Force Base to Rammstein Air Base, Germany, her assignments have spanned the globe, each stop shaping her into the formidable leader she is today. Adorning her career are noteworthy accolades, including the Air Force Achievement Medal and the Humanitarian Service Medal, a testament to her outstanding contributions and unwavering dedication so join us as we unravel the extraordinary story of sergeant martinez a true hero whose legacy embodies service leadership and excellence this is her journey her legacy and her very intense story that we're about to dive into so hey welcome to hero front thank you so much amanda for for doing this, I, I pre- this has been a long time in the making, and I really appreciate and you that. coming on. <laughs> like I straight up called you one time. Remember?
1: You did. That was right before I left to go to inpatient.
0: Something was just telling me to call you. Like I would never talked to you before. Like no. really. <laughs> right? Yeah. So your story really resonated with me. You had a DUI, yeah. and you were a senior NCO, and that's like that's our that's our worst nightmare.
1: Yeah.
0: Like, I've had literal nightmares about that. You know what I mean? I had nightmares where I'm failing drug tests or getting DUI. Like, they put the fear of God in us that, hey, if you do this, like, your life is over. They pretty much plant that seed, like, from day one.
1: Yep.
0: And you've actually been through it, and you're still here.
1: This one's going to make appearances the entire time. He doesn't know how to share.
0: Is that a French bulldog? Yes.
1: He's not very cute, but he's. he's no, he
0: is cute. Oh my god, love those dogs!
1: Um, I was born in Corpus Christi, Texas. Um, I am second generation American. Um, my mom's parents are from Mexico, so right at the border. Um, if you've seen the movie Sicario Two, it's based in the city my grandparents are from. Um, so it's not great down there.
0: Isn't that um, like a? Is that like a crime movie?
1: Yeah, they like, I think they, I think in the movie they kidnap like the president's daughter or something like that, Oh,
0: snap.
1: Um, like the president of Mexico or something like that, but it's, uh, it's based out of that little small town. Um, uh, but my grandparents, um, moved to the States when like in their early twenties, um, they had two kids already. Um, they ended up having 12 kids total. Um, so my mom has eight brothers and three sisters and, um, my mom, actually, she ran away from home when she was, um, 17, went to live with my uncle who was in the Marine Corps in Yuma, Arizona. And that's where she met my dad. No Um, way. Yeah. So
0: what made um, her run away?
1: Um, her, my grandma did not have a good relationship. Um, yeah, so it kind of, uh went the same way with me and her. Um, you know, I was the oldest of four in the house. Um, my youngest sister's 12 years younger than me. Um, and so I took the brunt of everything. Um, you know, my mom has apologized many, many times for how she treated me as a kid. Um, it's
0: generational it, trauma.
1: It still happens. And, um, you know, I, I tell her all the time, like, you know, she only knew what she knew, you know, it's not like she knew any better. Now she knows, you know, and and she's very careful of what she says around most of us, um, Mm -hmm. just because, you know, like her family is very big on like joking, but really it's like criticizing people, you know? Um, Right. So that's kind of the household I grew up in was like, you know, there were always these jokes that were made about like,
0: but really it was thing. like a passive aggressive, like yes. jab at you that yeah. had, that had some truth in their heart behind it. Oh,
1: absolutely. So, you know, we grew up around that and, um, you know, the minute I could find a way out of the house, I did. Um, I was 14 when I started working at a grocery store, um, bagging groceries. Um, and then I just kind of, you know, went to school and worked as much as I could. Um, I'm really close with my sister that's two years younger than me, obviously, like we grew up together, but the other two, um, you know, I I left when I was 18. So our relationships are very different because, you know, they're much younger. Um, I think my little sister was, I don't know, six or seven, maybe when um, I left for basic training. Can you hear this dog snoring? I can't. Okay, good. Cause that's
0: because he, he don't have a damn nose, man. What do we do to him? <laughs> yes,
1: it's so loud. So I'm glad you can Why can't. did we
0: do why did we where did we think like, okay, hey, let's let's make pugs and French but Let's take their nose away. <laughs>
1: I don't know. How it's- cute would
0: that be? And they're like <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, I'm so glad you can't hear him because it's loud. Um so yeah, so I worked, um, and then um I, I always had a relationship with my biological dad um it was you know back then we didn't have phones like now so letters and um you know calling to arizona i didn't meet him until i was 22. wait Uh, what yeah so i've i've never gone to visit him um you know i got letters and cards and pictures and stuff like that but i never went to see him um so he had two kids and a wife and you know he was busy doing his own thing too
0: yeah so are your sisters your half sisters
1: yeah so all of them
0: all yep. of them do Do they all share a, a dad
1: no so um the two youngest on my mom's side shared the same dad and he's been with my mom since i was three so he's my dad um
0: mm-hmm. I, okay
1: um you know he's been my dad gotcha um, and you know, I I call him dad. I I only refer to him as like my stepdad if I'm talking to people who don't know who he is. Um, when I'm like trying to explain like my family dynamic.
0: Yeah, I, I like. I mean, it's hard for me to call my my stepmom like my, my dad's third wife, who he's been with, you know, since I was like 14. You know, so for a long time. Yeah. Um, so she was like a the stepmom that's been around the the longest in my life, but. But she's Spanish, so I have to tell people that's my stepmom. Otherwise, they're just like they just keep looking back and forth at us. <laughs> she doesn't like me, me, you know, being called my stepmom. But I'm like, look, I just say that to just like prevent five minutes of explanation.
1: Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's been with my mom since I was three. And he's he is, we tell my mom all the time, like he's a saint. And my mom's like, y'all just don't know him the way I know him. He's not a saint. He's not perfect. I'm like, in my eyes, he's perfect. So, you know, when we when him and my mom got together, he she's um, like, I don't think he's
0: all that. I don't know what y'all see in <laughs>
1: him. <laughs> exactly. She's like, I'm trying to get rid of him. Um, <laughs> uh, she well, when they got married, we asked him like, you know, well, what are we supposed to call you? And he's like, well, what do y'all want to call me? And we're like, well, I don't know. And he's like, well, y'all can call me dad if y'all want. And we're like, okay. And so like he raised me and my sister that's two years younger than me. Um you know, with I mean, no complaints, you know, he worked hard. He's still working. I'm gonna retire before him, my poor dad. Um, but um, you know, he's very he is very calm. He's the very complete opposite of my mom. So my mom is very that's how
0: it always is
1: crazy all the time and mm. he can be when he wants to be, but for the most part, like he's super chill. Um, but he spent a lot of time, um, when we were kids working, you know, sometimes two jobs, um, to support us because there were so many of us, you know? Um, right. but yeah. So when my mom was hitting me and yelling at me or whatever, he wasn't ever really there. Um, so I, you know, as soon as I could, like I said, start working, I started working, um,
0: real quick about your biological dad. Have you met him at all in your whole life at this point? No, still.
1: No, I met him when I was 22.
0: Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. Okay. Could you just quickly, I'm just curious, like how and why did that happen at 22?
1: It's crazy. So I was stationed here at Ramstein in 2008. Um, And from 2008 to 2010. And I was in a C 130 unit and they were doing a TDY for two or three weeks in the States. And it was to multiple locations. And I just got picked to go on the TDY. I was a senior airman. And um, one of the locations was Yuma, Arizona. And Mm. my dad has lived there, you know, since before I was born. He was in the Marine Corps um, for eight years and then stayed there. Um, he was a firefighter and, uh, I just messaged him on MySpace cause MySpace was in back in the day and, uh, and that,
0: that top eight was that <laughs> topic
1: and hitting the music. The music was good too. The
0: music was, oh my God.
1: <laughs> really tell the mood.
0: Yeah. Um, you really, you, you're putting a message out to the world, what you're all about with that song that you chose.
1: For sure. Um, but yeah, so I just sent him a message and said, Hey, like we're coming into town. Um, I'll be there for a week. Um, I'd like to see you and the family. And he was like, absolutely. And um go figure right before I leave. Um, work problems, right? My GTC was expired. Uh, and I needed to classic overnight...
0: senior airman move right there. Man, if you got a senior airman or a new staff, I I'll butt my life on it. They don't have a current GTC.
1: Uh, and the always, day
0: they find out is the day you try to send them somewhere. And they'll be like, honestly, what's...
1: That? that's exactly what happened. So I had to And then the him.
0: conversation goes to, how do we expedite it? I know there's <laughs> a way to expedite it. How do we do that? I, I can't tell you how many times I've, I've had that conversation.
1: <laughs> we expedited it to his house. And so the night that we got to Yuma, um, him and my sister showed up to the hotel with my GTC so I could pay my for my hotel. That's the most
0: senior airman story... I've ever heard.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So that was our first meeting. Um, I was 22 and it was, it was different. You know, it was like, I, I didn't really know him. Like, yeah, we'd had conversations, but we'd lost touch throughout the years because, you know, I joined the air force and I was overseas and, you know, I just.
0: So he has a whole new life, whole new family.
1: Yeah. Yeah
0: like like, are they like really squared away or are they like struggling like what kind of vibe did you get
1: um no I think they're squared away for the most part um my sisters are I think they're two and four years younger than me um but you know like Yuma is not a big place like Yuma Arizona is tiny and it's very like it's not like Dallas where I grew up like big city it's very like small town vibe like you know, very simple. Um, they're outdoorsy people. I did not grow up that way. Um, so like my dad would go hunting and fishing and like him and my sister took trips and did stuff like that. Like every year they'd go like elk hunting and stuff like that. And that's not something I grew up doing. Like I live in the city. So why did he
0: check out so quickly?
1: Uh, I think because him and my mom had a lot of issues. Um, yeah, we're going to go with that. Oh, uh, God. <laughs> you um, you know, as no,
0: no, no. a, as a parent, like I just hate hearing like when, when there's like a distant parent, I hate that. And, wow. uh, you know, my stepsister, her, um, her name's Kelly. Uh, so my third stepmom's daughter uh, with a different guy from her from you know, he was an an Air Force guy, um, her dad, and yeah, he started a new family and yeah. like basically never talks to her. Like I, I remember her talking to him like maybe like once a year. yeah. um now that I'm a parent, I'm like, what the hell is? That's weird to me.
1: I think too, like times were just so different than, you know, like now it's so much easier to keep in contact with like anyone because of the technology we have and like for me all i had was writing letters and then if he took the call you know or if my mom let me call him and usually when my when he and i would have a conversation my mom would somehow find a way to kind of intervene and then they'd get onto something and then i would lose the conversation so
0: so like they would just start catching up
1: yeah well they just start arguing about something
0: they started arguing
1: yeah, because it was like I wanted to go visit, you know, and like it just was never a good time, I, I guess. Wow. So, but yeah, you did get I to know. meet
0: him that one time.
1: I did, yeah, I mean, we have we have a relationship now. Um, he's not married anymore. Um, he actually lives in San Diego. Um, and you another know, another
0: marine spot.
1: Yeah. Um, my his dad was in the navy. And i um, stationed there at Coronado. So that's where he grew up. Um, and we have a relationship now. Um, I wouldn't say it's perfect, but it's, mm-hmm. it's nice to know, like, that half of me, you know? Because I didn't really know anything. Um, so I've seen him probably a total of five times in my life, maybe.
0: So it sounds like you've had some traumatic episodes in your life, too. Cause for like sure. when you, when you're growing up, like you think that that's all normal.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Right. And, and then when you join in the military and you tell certain people the story and they're like, their reaction is like, what?
1: Yeah. You I know, think even me telling you right now, I'm kind of like, Oh, this, is, this sounds really messed up. Like, right.
0: You- yeah. And so I think that affects us more than we realize. Um, So, uh, you know, I appreciate you sharing that. And I I come from a uh, equally You know, crazy childhood as far as like the relationships go, the divorces. And I mean, I even found out my grandfather on my dad's side had another family, like a secret one. That's crazy. Yeah. They like five years ago, they met their half brother for the first time.
1: That's crazy. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yes. And he looks like my grandpa. My grandparents are passed away now. I guess my grandma like caught him. So like this is back in the day my grandpa was a a comm airman and he went TDY a lot to the coast cuz they had some different type of communication set up over there back then and he started another family over there. I mean this is like before internet before like like you could get away with that back then. You know, you could forge some documents and boom, you got two families now, you know. And uh and she found out my i guess my grandma found out and basically gave him an ultimatum so he just cut that part that family out forever wow um so it wasn't until both of them passed away that my family felt that it was okay to reach out to that si- that family yeah and, wow. but now he's been now they love the guy i think his name's rocky he actually looks like my grandpa so that's kind of trippy um yeah his name's Rocky. He looks like my grandpa. He looks like a great guy. Like they love him. They, they see him once a year now. Like they invite him to like their little mini family reunion every year, Aww. but that's just to show you how bizarre things can get. Yeah. Right.
1: It's crazy. It's crazy. crazy. Okay.
0: So let's, let's go into joining the air force. We know you just, you're just looking to get out, move somewhere, do something new. You just got to get out that house,
1: yep. start your own yeah. life. Yeah. So, Um, really the only reason I decided to join was because I needed to leave. Um, I, I know you, you, um, read some of my stuff. I had a cousin that I was very close with who had, um, osteosarcoma. So she had bone cancer. Um, and I spent a lot of time with her, you know, before she was sick. Um, but we basically moved from South Texas to Dallas area um, because my aunt and my cousins were there. Um, so I mean, we spent every Sunday at their house, you know, we were with them all the time, we went to church with them, spent holidays with them. Um, and then she ended up getting diagnosed with bone cancer. So um spent a lot of time with her in the hospital. I can tell you, I remember my sister and I going and watching Titanic at the hospital with her when it was still on VHS on two mm-hmm. different tapes. And that hospital room was so cold and we slept on the floor because there was nowhere for us to sleep. You know,
0: they don't, they don't make it. I hate that they do that, but they don't want you staying there. So they don't put anything comfortable there at all.
1: Yeah. So we, I mean, we made it work. Um, and then she went into recovery. They, they basically did a whole hip replacement after they shrunk the tumor. Um, she went into remission, uh, and then, um she ended up getting sick again and it was during my freshman year that she had gotten sick the second time and uh i shaved my head because she was gonna lose all her hair so that was kind of like it wasn't really traumatic for me like it was like okay cool like i'm doing something like you know to help make her not feel like she's alone but it wasn't easy in school was my freshman year um, people made fun of me people had jokes. Um, and it, it was whatever. So I spent my entire high school years growing my hair back. Um, and she ended up passing away in November of 2002. So I was in my junior year at that point. Um, mm. and she passed away right after her 26th birthday. So yeah, it
0: sounds like you were real close with her.
1: Yeah, I was, um, it's really hard. Like I feel like another reason I joined was because she really didn't get to do a lot. I mean, she got diagnosed with cancer when she was 21 and then passed away when she was 26. So it was like, I I need to do something because she didn't see anything. She didn't get to go anywhere. So I feel like a lot of it was like, I'm doing this for her. Like I'm going to get away from everybody and away from, you know, this life and build my own life. Um, So, yeah, so I, I was already talking to a recruiter shortly after that. Um, and my recruiter is amazing. I'm still Facebook friends with her today. Um, she, if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't have joined, honestly. Um, you know, you have people that tell you like their recruiters didn't tell them the truth or like, you know, they lied to them or whatever. She was 100% honest with me and you know, my mom was used to like recruiters I guess like in like the 70s and the 80s where like you call your recruiter for anything like when my uncle was in the Marine Corps and so like my mom would get mad at me and like kick me out and be like call your recruiter to pick you up and I'd be like well oh okay like oh you want to go to a a football game call your recruiter to take you to the football game and I'm just like all right so I did and my recruiter came and got me like she she was there so you know she helped me and um I almost backed out um the summer before I left I graduated in May and I moved back home because I, I moved out on my 18th birthday so I moved back home just to spend time with my sisters and um
0: I'm still listening I'm just trying know, to fix this I, sign but I, I can still hear you
1: um yeah so I um it's on now
0: Trying to good? kick that cord. They're, they're barely holding on down there. There's about to be a fire. There's a fire hazard going on right now, y'all.
1: No, so you're at daisy chaining over there is what you're saying. Daisy
0: chaining, yeah. That's my call sign. <laughs>
1: Um, So yeah, so I almost backed out. My mom was like, you can stay here. We'll help you. You know, you can go to- Your mom home. was
0: trying to talk you out of it?
1: Yes, yes. She was oh, like, she's oh, she's hitting you with that okay.
0: codependency.
1: She was like, we'll help you, like, but you're going to have a curfew and you're still going to fall." And I was like, F this, I'm out. Like, I have not- Horrible,
0: horrible salesman.
1: Yeah. Horrible she was like, she's
0: like, oh my God, we, we will- We'll, to do be it. In- we'll make you feel so comfortable. We'll please just stay. But I swear to God, if you're late one more time before curfew, like you're done, you understand you're like, see ya.
1: And it was an easy living there. Like, um, my parents, like they had all these, these strict rules in place. Like if I wanted to do anything, I had to ask at least three days in advance. So if something popped up,
0: damn, you were ready for the air force. Then <laughs>
1: it was like, you you don't ask three days in advance. You're not going.
0: That's like, like leave.
1: And my mom would be like.
0: You had to put in leave.
1: Seriously. And my mom would be like, oh, yeah, you can go here. And then I'd go. And then she'd call and be like, "Uh, you're not supposed to be there. You need to come home. And I'm like, what? And so, like, I didn't really, like, have, a, like, a high school, um, like, a good high school time. Like, it was like. I went to school. I went to work. I took care of my cousin. And then like, that was it. Um, wow. And then, um, you know, I, I mentioned in the article, um, I did get pregnant when I was 17. So shortly after my cousin passed away, um, I got pregnant. Uh, I was so stressed out because I didn't know how I was going to tell my parents. Um, you know, I just kept thinking like, oh my gosh, I'm repeating exactly what my mom did. you know, like my mom ran away. my mom got pregnant at eighteen. she had me at nineteen, you know, so like,
0: generational traumas catching up to I you
1: so stressed. and within a couple days, I ended up having a miscarriage and it was in the middle of the night. um nobody knew except my youngest sister and one of my really good friends. and eventually, um, my youngest, my younger sister, that's two years younger than me. She was the one that told my parents that I actually was pregnant because I couldn't tell them. Like I was terrified. Um,
0: I don't blame you. I mean, if you can't even go leave your house, no. now you're going to tell them you're pregnant. I mean, that would just blow their minds. mind.
1: You know, it's crazy. I can remember one day telling my mom, like I was getting ready to go to work and I said, Hey mom, um, I need to tell you something. And she goes, what are you pregnant? And I was like, no, like, it was like weird. I was like, Oh man, I got to go to work. Like I got to get out of here. Um, and then shortly after, you know, I mean, wasn't within a week, I had a miscarriage and I didn't know what to do. I didn't know, you know,
0: how did that go down that night? Is that like, like, how did you know that you had a miscarriage?
1: Excruciating pain. Mm. Um, you know, 17, you wake up in the middle of the night, just like a sharp pain. Um, and then I just, went to the bathroom until everything passed. And wow. so I just, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. My friend was like, um, had actually, she had just had a baby and she was like, you can hemorrhage, like you need to go to the hospital. And I was like, I I can't go to the hospital. Like I cannot tell my mom this is happening right now. Um, so you'd
0: rather risk your life than tell your parents.
1: Yeah. And I mean, now that I look at it like that, it's like, what the heck was I thinking? Like, there's no way I would never let one of my sisters do something like that. Um, but I didn't know what to do. Like I was just,
0: do you think the stress is what caused that?
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The fear, the anxiety. I just kept thinking to myself, like I'm literally doing the exact same thing my mom did. Like, and then like, I was like, what am I going to tell like my kid, right? Like my boyfriend works at Sonic, like Like, this is just like not ideal for me. Um, So that just really solidified like me leaving. I was like, I've got to get out of here because if not like.
0: So like you had a close call in your mind and you're like, hey, if I don't leave now, something else is going to stop me from going.
1: Literally that same week, my mom and I had gotten into a huge argument and this was after the, the miscarriage. So like within that same week, all of this just like boom, boom, boom. Um, my mom and I had gotten into an argument and um, she started hitting me and I can remember being on the ground and pushing her off of me and she called the police and told them that I hit her and what the yeah so I went to jail Oh my god yeah Um, so they they
0: they took her word for it and cuffed you
1: my mom told my sisters like if you guys don't tell them that she hit me, if they ask, y'all are going to be in trouble. So of course the the police officer did not care. A a word I said, he just walked into my bedroom and said, stand up, turn around and put your hands behind your back. And I didn't have shoes on. Nothing. I was sitting there like red crying.
0: So you're still about to not go in there. Of course.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I had already, you know, talked to my recruiter and stuff. So, had to tell my recruiter that I had gotten arrested, um, in Texas, it's a classy misdemeanor. So it's on my permanent record because in at 17 in Texas, you're an adult. Um, you kick the, kick the thing again. It's barely
0: in there. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's fine. (laughs)
1: Um, so yeah, uh, it was, it was rough that, that week in itself was I mean, I was 17 and literally just like everything happened that could possibly happen in that week.
0: That uh, is just awful.
1: Yeah. So I was like, I've got to get out of here. Um, so that so
0: misdemeanor I, didn't stop you from being able to go.
1: No, I was, I will say it, it came up in basic training. <laughs> um, I had to sign an affidavit saying like, yes, I was arrested. I will never lie to the air force again. Um but
0: it's so the security clearance part, probably, yeah, where that came back,
1: yeah, so I was super lucky. I was just like, i I didn't know what to do. like I just I didn't show up. I didn't know. And
0: who there was, was there. your who was your recruiter?
1: Um, I don't even know what she did. I feel like she was weapons or something, but oh. she ended up staying a recruiter until she retired. like she oh, was wow. a recruiter for a long time so she are you was still in talk- touch with her yeah
0: that's amazing I yeah. reached out to mine too mine um I'll tell you when we're not recording my story again yeah. we have uh something else in common <laughs> <laughs> um but yes my recruiter came through for me hardcore yeah. um she, her name was uh Zenaida Long she's from Puerto Rico nice and she was like a little firecracker too you know, like the Puerto Rican that's full of energy. Yeah. And it's just like super confident and it's just like your friend from day one. She's yeah. like that. Um her name was that. uh her name was Senior Master Sergeant Zenita Long and I I did reach back out to her like when I was in for about I don't know 10 years or so. And I was like, "I'm still in." Like, "Thank <laughs> you for helping me all those times." And she was like, "Oh my god. She she remembered me. She was super happy I was still in." So yeah. We don't all have horrible recruiter stories. Some of us no, have good ones.
1: She was great. Honestly, like I, being able to keep in touch with her too has been, you know, great. She's got two kids. Um, you know, I have nothing bad to say about her. Like she was great. Um, and she kept me from backing out cause I almost did. I almost was like, Nope, I can't leave my sisters again. Cause I've left and, um, um, lived with my uncle in South Texas for a couple months when I was 14, um, because I just, my mom and I just couldn't, couldn't get along. Like I, I was getting hit all the time and getting yelled at all the time, and so I ran away. And the very next day after I went back to my aunt's house, I had a plane ticket to go down to South Texas, and I was like, "All right, guess I'm leaving." And uh, two months later, I went back up to Dallas because I missed my sisters. So I was living with an uncle and an aunt that didn't have kids and you know, very different dynamic. So um yeah. the minute so I had the I had- reason you
0: were questioning leaving was you already knew what it felt like to leave your sisters. Yeah. And you're like, I don't know if I could do that forever.
1: Yep. And honestly, my sister that's two years younger than me, she held a little bit of resentment because I left. Um and it it took her quite some time to tell me but eventually she was like you just left us here and yeah. i was like what was i supposed to do like i i couldn't stay there in that environment like it was time for me to go um i, th- I don't
0: think people realize like how hard it is to leave yeah <laughs> and we forget cuz we've been in for a long time now but i mean it's, it is not easy you're you're literally leaving your entire life everything that you've ever known and there might be people that relied on you or needed your help and you're not there anymore. You're not, you've started your own journey and you can't be there.
1: Yeah. Um, my sister and I slept like in the same bed for years, you know, like we had twin beds and then we were like, ah, we don't want these. And we just got like a full size bed and slept in the same bed together because that's how close we were. And then I just left, you know, and then of yeah. course my, my first assignment was overseas. So that didn't make it any easier. Mine too. Yeah.
0: Yep. And then you don't have enough money to like call them or, or, and you definitely can't pay for a plane ticket. You know, you got to wait till you're done with the assignment and then you get that free trip, you know? Um, (laughs) Yeah. But Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's like, it is, it was such a, and and you do feel guilty, you know, when, when you miss weddings, when you miss like your nieces or nephews being born, when you miss funerals, you know, and, and they're, the whole family's grieving and you're not there. You know, you, you miss all of it. Um, now that
1: I'm about to retire, like my sisters are stoked. Like my sister, that's two years younger than me. She was like, I haven't said anything to you yet. Cause I wasn't planning on moving back to Dallas. And she was like, but this is really selfish of me, but I really want you to move back home. And then she just had a baby four months ago. And now my other sister, that's the next one in line. She just found out she's pregnant. So like. I, I don't want to miss any of that anymore. You know, right. like my oldest nephew is 16. Um, and then I have a wow. niece that's 10 and now the, the new baby. So, you know, I've, I've missed a lot of their lives and it sucks. Like yeah. I'm added to go spend some time with them for, for a while.
0: Yeah. I had a, uh, a childhood best friend. Who uh, yeah, I knew my sisters were starting to get into that like wild child mindset, especially because of all the divorce stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was from, you know, Waldorf, Maryland. There's a lot of drugs and a lot of like, if you want, if you want that, it's there, you know. Um, and my, me and my best friend, we had the biggest falling out. Like he ended up dating my sister. Like I, I told him to basically watch over my family. And be like the big brother because I wasn't there. And he ended up dating one of them. Uh, And and like I'd come home on leave and they'd be like, they would know each other so well, but they wouldn't want to tell me. It was such an awkward thing. But so some tension was being built, but um, where it really got bad. And there's something I've I've held on to to this day was his mom died of cancer and I never wanted to be home. So his parents were like my adopted parents. I was there more than my own house. I think they knew as parents, hey, this kid's probably got something going on. So they just let it happen. They let me spend the night there all the time. They fed me. They got a grocery list for me. Like, and so like, you know, his mom passing away was like super depressed. Like it was very sad for me too. Yeah. Um. And when, and when I went back, like the falling out that happened where it was never the same again. Well, for one, I found I was dating my sister So I was pissed about that, but then he was pissed at me because they, the one year anniversary of his mom's passing, they were going to all have this memorial and I was too scared to go. And Um. so I pretended like I forgot and I hate myself, I hate myself to this day for like not doing, it was because of alcohol. Like I, Um. I couldn't do, if I wasn't hammered, I couldn't do anything that. Yeah. emotionally challenged me. Yeah. Right. And so I acted like I was hungover and I forgot. And he, yeah, he blew up on me. And um, part of what he brought up was like, you left everybody. Like mm-hmm. we were all left behind. We had this problem and like, like some troops came out and I was yeah. like, and yeah, I haven't talked to him since. That wow. was like, I don't know, 15 years ago. Dang. crazy right yeah this is the type of stuff that happens when you leave that like overnight and never come back
1: <laughs> my sister and I we didn't talk for years um just because you know we would lost that bond we had once I left um you, you, know, you
0: start to you, you both become different people so at some point you become strangers to your own family Yep. So you don't know what to even say to them.
1: No. Yeah. We, we lost touch for quite some time. Um, now we're all, we're all like kind of on the same page. A couple of years ago I went home and we all went to go eat and we kind of made a pact and was like, you know, we're not going to let anything come between us anymore. Like, you know, we're all adults. We're going to talk to each other. If we have an issue with someone, we're not going to talk about each other to other people like, So, you know, that's, that's nice to have that now because we didn't have that before. So.
0: I'm I'm very happy to hear that. And I'm so excited and thrilled for you to be going back into their lives. Like when they need you, they still need you. They have these kids now, like you're an aunt.
1: That's what my sister said. She's like, I want you to have the relationship that we had with our aunts when we were little and that that got me I was like okay coming back so
0: you know my the stepmom that passed away that I didn't get to reconnect with her sister was my aunt Jamie who was uh, retired as a full bird colonel um so a big role model in my life growing up her husband was a chief my uncle Bob so you know huge role models of mine um and they could never have kids. That was, like, always so sad. It was like, it was like Sherry was the sister that was just, didn't, I mean, she wasn't, like, a super kid person, but she could have tons of kids. Whereas, yeah. and then you had my Aunt Jamie, who is, like, super squared away. She's an Air Force officer, and they can't have kids. Yeah. And that, that I always felt so bad. Like, they paid all this money for in vitro, like, all that stuff, and it never worked. Yeah. Um. And so I always felt like awful about that. But what makes me smile today is, well, for one, Sherry never knew or met a single one of her grandchildren. So all my sisters have children now. And while my sister Ashley was pregnant, she passed away. So she has never seen one grandchild. Wow. By the time she died. But my aunt Jamie basically became my sister, Rachel's, uh, her son's like guardian because my sister, Rachel would go to work and my aunt Jamie, who's, you know, pretty much well off with her retirement at this point, uh, gets to watch her son like all day long. Yeah. And so like she, I I was really happy, like seeing on like Facebook and, and the pictures and the stuff they're doing, like she ended up getting that child in her life.
1: Yeah it was awesome. just
0: like just one of those beautiful things for a like full circle moment you know man some powerful stuff yeah <laughs> you got me opening it up <laughs> you're too easy to talk to
1: I mean that is good right like it is i I like that I I've never met a stranger I guess you know yeah. my my whole family's like that like they'll talk to anybody. Um, maybe not my youngest sister. She's got, she's very quiet unless you know her, but Mm. the rest of my family, like, doesn't bother them to just talk to somebody random. Like my parents will talk to anybody anywhere, anytime. They don't care. They have no filter that that's something that I'm still working with. I'm like, you guys can't say that. My mom's like, why not? Why why can't? I'm like, can't say stuff like that. I think
0: that's everyone's parents. (laughs) My parents say some wild shit and I'm like, "What?" <laughs> How do we both live in the same country and then you think yeah. like
1: <laughs> It's
0: it's too funny. Um I never asked you the three random questions by the way.
1: Oh, what are they? Let's go.
0: Okay. Um first question We'll we'll do a super easy one as the first one. First question is if there's a movie on your life, all the stuff we're talking about, and you're the main character, Amanda. <laughs> and and you could pick any actress you want to play you in this movie. Who would you pick?
1: Ooh. Dang, I don't know. Any I, actress. I feel okay. Any actress. Right now, my my female crush is Sophia Vergara.
0: Because of that Netflix thing?
1: Yes. Because she is a boss in that show.
0: <laughs> I, I gotta see it. Everyone keeps talking I mean, about like how good accent. she is. In
1: like her accent is is very strong, but like she's just such a good actress. She's good. I haven't finished the oh, show yet. I'm on like I think I have two episodes left, but it's good. I,
0: I gotta get into it. I really do. I'm rewatching True Detective.
1: Ah, I just watched season two of that when I was in England last week.
0: Season two, like the mafia one,
1: uh, like the
0: crimes, the crime Lords, like the, the Russians and no, wasn't that.
1: This one was the one with, um, where Colin Farrell is the detective.
0: Yeah, that's the, that's the mob one.
1: Oh so, yeah, there were Russians in there. Was, yeah,
0: like the Russian mob was there. Like yeah. it, it's like a like a Vegas casino. All I can think
1: of is like the Blue Diamonds or something like that, the Blue Jewels or something. That yeah.
0: I just rewatched that one. I watched that one first because I'm trying to watch the first season with my wife whenever we're both able to watch it because the yeah. first season is like incredible. Like I, Matthew McConaughey. I until oh I my god! Yeah. You've never seen the first season?
1: No, I'd never even heard of it. I don't I don't really watch TV. So
0: I would definitely watch that first season. And it's based on real like human trafficking in in the US.
1: Oh, I'd probably cry.
0: It's based on like real like theory. You Have know. you
1: seen, um the Sound of Freedom?
0: I started it and I was like, "Hell no."
1: Yeah. Uh my sister they, told me to watch it and I was like, "Why would you tell me to watch this movie? It was very sad."
0: yeah I can't watch it um my uh, my daughter's in a play right now, like where no parents are allowed like you just drop you have to drop them off and leave yeah. and in the beginning of that movie, that's what that that's what happens they they have this yeah. like model shoot, and they drop their kids off, and the model shoot is just to sell the children. they take the pictures they post it on the internet, and then they whoever yeah. bought them on the internet, they just take them to that place and by the time the dad got back. The whole thing was empty, and there's no way he could find those kids. After I saw that, I said, "Turn this shit off!" Like,
1: it was rough. I was like, "I can't." I texted my sister, and I was like, "This is about child trafficking, isn't it?" And she was like, "Just watch." And I was like, "Ah!" It's like, why would you tell me to watch this? So yeah, wow oh, man.
0: If and I was have, have mean, anyone play that, me in a
1: movie.
0: If I was gonna have anyone play me in a movie that was like realistic, like that could play me, yeah, I would pick uh, kind of an underground uh, actor. His name is Ben Foster. You got to Google that.
1: I'm gonna look him up
0: now. Or look him up because your phone's being used as your webcam, so you probably can't use that. But Ben Foster, that is who I would pick for mine. Okay. Second question: I've always wanted to ask this, and I've never asked <laughs> this ever before. This will be the first time if you had the opportunity to know every single answer behind the mystery of ghosts or ufos you could pick one or the other where every question you had would be completely answered which would you pick ghosts or ufos
1: ghosts
0: did you say ghosts yeah why
1: because, I don't know, because there's, like, people that have real-life instances with ghosts. <laughs> and I would want to know things. Like, I have, okay, so I just went to England to visit my my friends that are British, right? And they live in, like, really old houses. And apparently, there's a couple of spirits in their house. All
0: of England is haunted.
1: <laughs> So I was like terrified because they apparently they had some priests come in and like walk through the house and there's a spirit on the top of the stairs, like at the landing named Steven. So like every time I walked past that, I'd be like, am I, am I touching him? What's happening here?
0: How do they know his name?
1: I don't know. It's so weird, but apparently they could hear like things happening throughout the house. Like when nobody else was in certain rooms. And honestly, when I was there, it was just me and their two daughters were downstairs watching TV. And out of nowhere, we just heard five really loud knocks. And we all looked at each other. And I was like, I'm not going to look. Like, and their kids are 17 and then 12 year olds like, I'll go. And I was like, no, don't go. Just stay here. Like, what the heck? But it's like, Mm. why, like, why do they get stuck? Just in. So
0: I I was raised in a haunted house in Maryland. My whole. All of Waldorf, Maryland is haunted. It's all Native American burial grounds. Um and lots of wars and it's it's a very like there's even a demon that lived there like in the early 1900s like a goat man. Like this place is no joke. <laughs> That's crazy. That yes, this place is haunted. Waldorf, Maryland. There's horrible history there. And uh so I lived I was raised in a haunted house with the weirdest craziest stuff ever. But the one thing I've, you know, and that made me more interested in it, right? It's because yeah. I was raised with it. And one thing I've noticed that confuses me is that how similar they all are. Like, yeah. why do they all like to knock? Why? Why? <laughs> why can you always hear their footsteps? Why do they like to hide things? Why? Like, why are they all so similar?
1: Yeah, it's it's creepy.
0: Well, some people think they're just demons from okay. when they were kicked out of heaven. And they're just stuck on earth, and that's what that is. A lot of people think that.
1: Here's my question. Here's a random question for you. Have you ever thought that maybe we're already dead and this is the afterlife?
0: I have thought about that because it's hell. Sometimes
1: I feel like I'm in hell. (laughs) I'm like, what if this is the afterlife? What if I've already lived a life and now this is the new me?
0: I would say I'm I feel more like that it's a simulation. Yeah? Yeah, sometimes I feel like that because it's just you know like I'm a fan of I used to be a pro gamer, I used to be really into games and our world and and everything about it it feels like a video game like we're on this floating rock like we have boundaries like video games have boundaries you can't just leave the map right like you you're stuck in this little bubble that's the game yeah well that's what earth is like that's the game like we can't we can't leave earth it makes no sense why we're alive
1: like
0: no it's just so weird
1: another question are we inside the earth or are we on the surface of the earth
0: that's that flat earth stuff you're getting into, <laughs>
1: I've asked this question multiple times to multiple people, and I always get all confused. I'm like, never mind, just forget it.
0: No, there's a cult who they have a uh I saw like mysteries at the museum or something where they had like a little diagram of like what they thought Earth and space was uh-huh, and it it was exactly that like they they thought they were like in the center of the earth, and everything else is like inside the earth and there's this shell that we just can't see or something i don't buy it i don't know and to think that we're like the size of dust i know we're literally dust on the
1: surface of the earth like we're like this little point here it just doesn't make sense to me and
0: it's spinning like thousands of miles an hour like we're just safe enough from the sun the (laughs) moon is The moon is just safe enough to help the gravity and the tides. Like it's all just worked out just perfectly. And then we've been, uh, around less than 1% compared to the rest of the universe, Yeah. like, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, he had a calendar and he said, if this was the whole universe timeline, this calendar, this, this month of December, he's like, humans have been here on the 31st of December. Like on on the final hour, like yeah. think of if how much but happened before we even existed.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. it's bizarre.
0: Everything about it, us being here, is bizarre, and it really <laughs> reminds me of a video game or a simulation.
1: Yeah, man.
0: All right, third question. All right, I yeah, this is the third one, right? Yeah. Yep. Okay, third question. Hmm. If you could go back in time and and tell, you know, when you had that horrible week. Yeah. If you could give that person a message of encouragement, they wouldn't know it's you. It's They wouldn't know it's from future you. Mm. Was there any sort of message that you
1: think would help? Um, I would, I don't know. Maybe just don't give up because I felt so defeated at that time. Like, especially being 17 and not really having like a lot of support. You know what I mean? Like my, my dad was always at work and my mom was always mad at me. So it was like, you know, get the hell out and don't give up. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Damn. Yeah. You, you had a rough start.
1: I did. I really did.
0: And so I'm, I'm, I'm happy you finally made it out. Right. Yeah. You finally you finally left.
1: Yep. Yep. Um it was how did great. that feel? Um, it was great, but I was very sad because I didn't have my sisters. And I mean you know how basic training is like people are shuffling in and out of your flight, and stuff's happening, and really you're just trying to get out of there. Um yeah, so... you're basically in prison. Yeah. Oh, there he is.
0: You're, you're in voluntary prison.
1: Yep. Yeah, it was rough. Um, the yelling and stuff didn't bother me because I was used to it. But, like, I was not used to wearing boots. So my feet hurt. I don't have good feet. Like, I've had a million foot surgeries. Um, so, like, that was my biggest complaint in basic training was, like, my feet were jacked. But I pushed mm. and I made it.
0: Yep, you did. And what career field did you go into?
1: Um, aviation Resource Management.
0: I don't know what that is.
1: All right. So we do anything and everything that you can do for aircrew and parachutists. So we can work in a flying squadron and create their So you flight... know how to sew? No, not like that. That's You it. don't that... sew parachutes? No, that's aircrew flight equipment.
0: Oh, that's right.
1: But well, we work in the same same building usually.
0: So how are you different from them?
1: We do all the admin work. So okay. we track all their flight time, their ground and flight currencies, um, basically make sure they're current and qualified to fly. What Isn't that own? like a
0: 24-hour ops type of job?
1: It depends on what kind of unit you're in. So um, like when I was with F-16s in Korea, um, we... Had like rotating shifts, and like sometimes we'd go in to work at like three in the morning, and then if we were on nights, then we'd be at work until like one in the morning. Like it, it was kind of like a swing shift, I guess. But so, um, would you
0: say you're the admin cell for the flight line for the pilots? Yes. Okay.
1: I also, have an admin on the maintenance side as well. But it's very different. They track like flight, they track the aircraft side of things and we track the personnel side of things. So we control like their flight pay. Um
0: oh wow. Yeah. Are you considered FSS or maintenance?
1: No, we're considered ops technically. Ops. Yeah.
0: That's a small little group, isn't it?
1: Yeah. I don't need many like, ops folks. If you work in Like usually if you're in, um, like a fighter squadron, you're typically the only enlisted people in the squadron. So like assigned to the unit. So when I was with a 10s and F 16s, um, we were the only enlisted. And so there's like six of us assigned to that unit and everybody. Would you say
0: that job is like super difficult, you know, a big learning curve, or would you say, no, it's not that bad. You know, I got it pretty quick.
1: Um, I, I'd say the job part is easy. It's the dealing with people part that is very difficult because, you know, like flyers just want to fly. They don't, they don't care about what the ins and outs are. They just want to go. And the same thing with jumpers, like parachutists, like PJs and combat controllers and tack peas. They just want to go. They don't care about filling out a paper that says they did training but we have to have those things in order to let them fly so it's very hard sometimes because you deal with a lot of alpha personalities and it's it takes a strong person to sit there and be like no you're not going until you do this you know right So yes
0: i mean i'm in public health and we were doing like deployment out processing and phas at one point and you know, whenever it comes time for the special forces dudes, they'd be like, they just wouldn't do it. And we're like, we're like, you literally have to legally or you can't go. Like, I don't know what else to tell you, man.
1: Yeah. And then yeah. When, when they get put on like a, like a restriction. So when I was in Milden Hall I was with um, the combat controllers and the PJs and they had a six month stand down where they couldn't do any jumping. And those people get real irritated when they can't do their job.
0: Like, wow, because
1: they can't really do anything, all they can do is ground training. They have
0: that, yeah, they just had that one purpose and now it's gone. Yeah, dang. Okay, no, that's a really cool job, that's very unique. Um, I don't meet many folks that have that background.
1: I like it, I don't want to do it anymore, but I like it.
0: You've never retrained or did a special duty or anything.
1: The only thing that I've done outside of that was the resilience, um, the resilience office for the one year, um, about a year ago,
0: like the lead MRT type of thing,
1: yeah.
0: Oh, nice. I, yeah, that looks like a good job. It was great. Okay, so I could let's see that. Into, job,
1: I would stay in the Air Force.
0: I mean, you could as a civilian,
1: well, yeah, but like I would stay in the Air Force much longer if that job was like an all the time job for a military yeah.
0: member. Um, when I, think you...
1: it, I think it's good to have a military member in that position.
0: Oh, it absolutely is. It's just civilians
1: don't, you know, there's a difference.
0: <laughs> it seems like your mom's lecturing you if it's coming from them sometimes.
1: Yeah.
0: You're like, you don't know, mom. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, So, yeah, when you go to retire like me and you are, and you start to really learn like what you're good at, what you're bad at, and what you want to do, the things that bring you joy. And then when you realize You can't do that in the Air Force. I think there's a talent issue. I I really do. Um, And from my own story, I was going to be the podcaster for the Air Force. A lot of people were behind it. A lot of influential, high-ranking people wanted that to happen, and they could not make that happen. It was impossible. The system is not designed to just pluck someone and put them in some spot. It's just not designed that way. So like, well, first we have to make this position. Like it, it could happen in like three years from now. And I'm like, no, I'm yeah. not waiting three years for you to tell me no after three years because of some other reason. Yeah. So we have a talent issue. And uh, a lot of the there's a lot of retirements going on. If you've noticed on Facebook, a lot of people who shocked me that are retiring.
1: Yeah, a lot.
0: OK, so let's get into the core Of the discussion here, we've, and by the way, you've done fantastic explaining everything about your upbringing. We spent a lot more time on that than I thought we would, because it was like, (laughs) because I was fascinated by it because I've, you know, could relate with it. And I 100% believe that everything you just told us is trauma that you've dealt with as an adult. Yeah. So that's why I wanted to, to spend a lot of time on that because, like, it, it became clear to me these issues you ran into as an adult, like I did too, yeah, were you trying to sort through that and just not knowing how it just comes out in weird ways.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So,
0: how do you want to start with that part of your journey? Ooh. Drinking.
1: Drinking. Um, my second base was Gunsan, South Korea um (laughs) I mean anything and everything soju was like the thing to drink so um back then we mixed it with kool-aid and that was like what we drank every day after work um and drinking and like in my family like my parents didn't really drink a lot growing up they do now um but like growing up they didn't really drink a lot um but my mom's brother's were like hardcore drinkers. Um, and then my biological dad is, um, 37 years sober. So, um, he's a recovering alcoholic. Um, and it's in your DNA. In my DNA. And, you know, I don't know how many times, you know, my mom would tell me like, be careful with your drinking you need to be careful with your drinking. And I'd just be like, yeah, okay. Like, whatever, it's not a big deal because I didn't know any better. You know, I, I was five years old when I remember opening a beer for my uncles, you know, like it was cool to grab a beer and take it outside to them while they were all drinking and smoking cigarettes and cooking barbecue and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So like, for me, it was normal. Like, and then when you go to Korea, it's even more normal to be around alcohol. And I would never
0: have, my career would have never made it through Korea. Like as crazy as I was. I would. I've never been there, but you wouldn't be talking to me right now had I been stationed there. I promise you. It
1: was, uh, it was um, that year. I so I I got stationed there in December of 2006. So I was there all of 2007, and I can barely remember what I did there because all I did was drink. Um. Yeah, and like I. And
0: that's when I, the habits like it, it starts with like all fun and games
1: yeah
0: right it starts with you know it's a positive experience and then at some point there's a shift right i'm guessing that happened to you too
1: yeah i mean and then also like for for me and my career field right like we're when we're in flying units it's the culture um like they
0: have a bar and stuff
1: it's called a heritage room now
0: i thought it was called the hooch
1: those are in korea but in in the flying units they we used to call it the bar and they had to change it because obviously it wasn't politically correct and now they're called heritage rooms but there's a beer light and on certain days the beer light goes on and anybody that's at work can drink So I start experiencing that until I went to Tucson. So I was a brand new staff sergeant and that was the first time I had ever seen like other than Korea, but like seeing, you know, them having roll calls and stuff like that, where, um, you know, the enlisted weren't allowed. It was only for the pilots. And then we'd come in and the squadron would be just like, in shambles like the bar would have pizza boxes everywhere broken glass like just i mean that was like their tradition you know like so you never got
0: to see those nights you just saw the aftermath
1: yeah we saw the aftermath we never had to clean it up like they did it but it was just like the very first time i had seen that i was like what is this because i'd never been in an a10 unit before Um, and then I ended up spending seven and a half years in Tucson. Um, and I kind of rotated through all the A-10 units. Um, but like you see it all the time. Like it's, Mm -hmm. it's just the culture of being a flyer. So, Mm -hmm. um, I continued, you know, I, I drank a lot in Korea. I slowed down when I got to Ramstein the first time. Um, I got married after six months of being at Ramstein Um, To another. What happened there? Um, Was this the
0: guy that with the kid that you helped raise?
1: This is my first husband, so you know the first the first marriage doesn't count. You know when you're in the Air Force.
0: (laughs) That's why I never got married. It just didn't seem to be working for anyone. So I said, "The hell with that. I'm not doing that."
1: Um. Yeah. So, uh, I got married at 22. I had been in, in Ramstein for about six months and. Um, the guy that I was seeing was gonna PCS and you know, Classic. Youngest, um, got married. Um, and we just we were not, I don't know, we were both just young, very young, very dumb. Um, he was in a combat comm squadron and I was in a C 130 squadron, so we were always, um, kind of high fiving each other, like. He was in the field, then I would go Tdy and then he would deploy. and then I would deploy, and it was just like constant. Um so we ended up splitting up in two thousand eleven so you got a um, divorce, Yeah, yeah. So we got divorced in February, Valentine's day of two thousand
0: and twelve what what made the, the divorce happen when you finally got to spend time with each other, you're like, hey, this actually sucks.
1: um, yeah. And like I said, we were young, right? So like he was just into video games and like just not, not the mature person I wanted to be with. If
0: so he was a gamer.
1: Yeah. That Literally, be... I had to buy an Xbox to talk to him. What was his <laughs> game
0: of choice that says a lot about a person? Do you remember what he was hooked on?
1: Uh Call of Duty okay and then when it wasn't call of duty it was wrestling so- Okay, this
0: guy sounds weird if you said call of duty and minecraft i would have said okay but and re- you said wrestling
1: <laughs> yeah
0: is this a redneck or something <laughs> what a weird guy
1: yeah so that was you know my parents were not happy uh I just out of nowhere called and was like, I'm getting married. And my parents were like, what the hell is going on? And
0: they said, get that, your ass back home.
1: And it just kind of blew up in my face.
0: You're grounded.
1: Yeah. They were not happy. Um,
0: so how long were you married to that person?
1: Um, almost four years.
0: Well, that's longer than I thought.
1: Yeah. And it, I mean, like I said, we were, we were gone all the time. Like we PCS from Ramstein to Tucson. And we got there in February and I went TDY in June. And then when I got back, I was like, you need to take a TDY or deployment or you need to move out. Like, and so then he deployed and then I went TDY back to back. He came back and then I deployed. So, and then he deployed again because I was supposed to go, here's the kicker. I was supposed to go to Afghanistan. So he applied for a deployment to Afghanistan, got picked up for it. And then a week before I left, they diverted us to Osan. What? Yeah. Yeah.
0: And then you went to Osan.
1: And I went to Osan. So I was there from February, 2011 until September, I think. And we were deployed there. So yeah. Wow. And that, that time I wasn't as bad in Korea. Um, but also like, I felt like, I felt like me again, you know, like I wasn't at home upset because my husband wasn't paying me any attention. Like I was like, ah, oh, I'm free, you know? Like, so, so do d- you had
0: one of those relationships where the dude would get home, hop on the games, talk with his, talk with the boys. And then that was it from until it's time to go to bed. And that was basically every day.
1: Yep. I I watched every episode of Grey's Anatomy. That was, I think it was like eight seasons at the time in like a week because I had nothing else to do.
0: Jeez. <laughs> yeah. My, uh, my wife gave me an ultimate. I was that person. I was a pro Halo three player. Okay. So I was ranked like 18th worldwide. I was making montages and videos and like, that was my thing. And, uh, she was like, yeah, this is like really not cool. Like this is dumb, and you know if you're ever she basically was like you're acting like a child, and uh, if you're ever gonna grow up or, or or want a marriage or anything, like you probably need to put this behind you. And I finally did, and I will never play it. I only have a Nintendo now, because if I get on because if you put Halo or Call of Duty in front of me, that's like that's like crack cocaine. <laughs> It's like a drug to me like I'll go crazy I'll go I'll I'll binge it you know what I mean yeah <laughs> so I just can't even have it in my life but so I I get I know the type of person you're describing which is a lot more common these days and it's kind of dysfunctional you know when that person would rather just sit at that chair all day long like yeah. what is the what's the spouse supposed to do it's it's uh I think it's becoming a, a bigger problem. for people today
1: i mean it's better than i guess going out and spending money and whatever but i
0: don't know is it i
1: don't don't think it is it wasn't for me i was not happy so
0: no i I don't think it is better
1: i needed attention clearly right
0: (laughs) okay so how was your drinking at that point and your you know how were you feeling mentally you know about yourself um, and
1: At that point, I was really struggling because I had actually failed a PT test. Oh, snap. I went to Korea. And so a lot was riding on that, that test, the next test, because otherwise
0: they wouldn't let you leave. Right.
1: Well, and it wasn't, it wasn't, um, no, so that I was able to deploy. I just had to take another test before I got back. Um, Oh, okay. But if I failed that PT test, I wasn't going to be able to test for promotion, and right. so I was terrified. Um, I had when we deployed to Korea, we all had roommates, so we didn't stay in tents. Our commander ended up getting us into condemned buildings. So, we oh were- my god, yeah.
0: that happened to me too. I was in so many condemned buildings. Oh. One, I was in a building that was the the first floor was flooded,
1: or the oh basement
0: the basement was flooded
1: yeah wow. it was rough. i mean i i'm i'll take it like it was nice to have you know heat and air conditioning when we needed it but they were not great but it was better than staying in a tent i guess mm-hmm. so um yeah i had a lot riding on that i had a roommate who um i had met a year prior at, on a tvy and she and i had become really close um she was a big runner really into fitness so um if it wasn't for her I probably would not have passed my test so she worked out with me almost every day we went to go eat she was like a like a freaking ti I'd like go get a salad and she I'd look at the dressing and she'd be like fat free and I'm like oh like I would get so mad but I lost so much weight and I passed my test and I made a 90 and I hadn't made a 90 ever so, wow. like, super thankful. Um, and my drinking wasn't... It wasn't, like, the first time when I was in Korea, but it was still pretty bad. Like, I mean, we deployed with the A-10 pilots and all of maintenance. So, you know...
0: They get wild.
1: It, it's crazy. Um, yeah. And we drank a mm. lot. um, And... I mean, I'm surprised I don't have like a bad liver, like I, I don't know how. Um, but yeah, so deployed there, um, came back, uh, and then my ex came back shortly after I did, um, I moved out, filed for divorce. Um, we got divorced February of 2012 and only my closest friends knew. I showed up to work with a new name tag and everybody was like, what the hell? Um, So I didn't even tell anyone, like, I was so embarrassed because I failed, you know, it was just like,
0: that's how you were raised.
1: Like, this is,
0: you were raised to feel embarrassed and to hide things, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, even we talked about the DUI stuff. So we'll get into that later, obviously, but like, the minute I told my parents about my DUI, they were like, don't tell anyone. And I'm like, I'm not going to not tell anyone. Like, this is, this is my story. This is my life. And there are other people that are probably going through the same stuff that I was going through that don't know what to do. Like, so I'm going to talk about it. Um, But my parents were not like, the first thing that came out of their mouths after they yelled at me was don't tell anyone.
0: Andrew grounded.
1: Yeah, basically. So, um, yeah, I was pretty embarrassed about it. Um, showed up to work with a new name tag. Um,
0: where's this guy now? Just side note. Where's this dude now?
1: He he actually just retired. Uh, Um,
0: so he he made it to the end.
1: Yeah, he did. Um, he just retired and I think he's back in Tucson. I could be wrong, but mm. he didn't have a great last assignment. It was in Nebraska. I think <laughs>
0: well, they do have the Nebraska furniture mart.
1: No, mm-mm. I you would ever never heard of mind. that. Yes, I have.
0: That makes I- it worth it.
1: Um, so yeah, so he's retired now. Um, he's remarried, has kids. Um, you know, good for him.
0: Yeah. Uh, I was just curious.
1: Yeah. Hopefully you know. he's grown up now. So <laughs> yeah, hopefully
0: he's letting his kids play games while he cheers them on instead of snatching yeah. the controller and making <laughs> them watch him.
1: Yeah. Um, so yeah, I got divorced and then literally two months later, I met my second husband uh, two months later. Yeah. Two months. So my ex and I had been, I mean, we'd been deployed the whole 2011, so we didn't really see each other. And then um, the divorce is final in 2012. And then two months later, I met my second husband. Um, And after my first husband, I was like, I'm never dating someone in the military ever again. Like, not doing it. So the second husband was prior military, but was a civilian um, when I met him through a mutual friend. Um, Knew he had a son, didn't bother me. um, Especially like after my my stepdad has been with my mom all these years It's very natural for me to just like, Hey, no big deal. Like I love kids. Um, you know, so just the crazy way the, the life plan works out. Um, he had pictures in his house of his son, him and his son, and we met in, we met in April. So at the end of April, um i get a friend request on facebook and it's from his son's mom oh red flag who i know from work what <laughs> yeah oh yeah. snap We were in different units but um her job was weather so she would come and brief our pilots on the weather every day so i saw her every single day
0: and then and then she'd make eye contact with you on the way out and just like stare you down
1: Oh, she hated me. Like, and I told him, I was like, you need to tell her. And he was like, no, she doesn't care. She's never cared about who I've dated, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, trust me, she's going to care. And she did. And she made life a living hell for both of us. Um, They had 50-50 custody of their son and the way it worked in the beginning was if she had him, my ex would call that night and say, good night, see how his day was or whatever. And vice versa that stopped instantly. The minute she found out about me, Mm. like, or was a very frequent occurrence. Um, we ended up, I got moved into, into a different unit, um, which was the same unit she was in just because it was my turn to rotate into that unit. Um, so it, it just was not good at all. Um, what was
0: your guys' ranks?
1: We were both staff sergeants.
0: Okay. Well, at least you were both the same rank. Cause if she outranked you, you would have been toast.
1: <laughs> yeah. We we're both staff sergeants. Um, And then we were trying to get full custody of his son. Um, He and I ended up getting married in August of 2013. So we had been together a little over a year. Um, and both of us, he had been married before, but not to her. And so we were both like, we've both been married before. We're not in a rush. Just like whenever we decide to get married, we'll get married. Um,
0: was he older than you?
1: Just by a year. Oh, okay. Yeah. And he was in the military for like four years and got out. Um, so yeah, we, um, we spent a lot of time in court trying to get full custody of him. We couldn't get full custody, um, until, his son's mom married a guy who was extremely abusive um and eventually she called the cops on him and because she called the cops then cps got involved and so that was just even more to add on to what was going on so like um, this
0: guy was like beating this kid up
1: not the kid his the mom.
0: wife oh no yeah jeez that's horrible
1: yeah. Um, And then she ended up getting out of the Air Force, I think, because people were in her business, because people knew what was happening. Um, So, I mean, that's just my take on it. Who knows why she actually got out. But um, eventually, when all this finally went down and she called the cops um, on him, he ended up going to prison. Um, But when he went to prison, like she told us, well, she told me because she and I ended up becoming really close. Um, you know, that he had threatened to kill us all. So like,
0: Oh no, he's
1: going to burn our house down with us in it. And I was just like, what? Like, and you weren't going to tell us like, you were just, Oh, you're going to take my son out first and like, <laughs> okay, cool. Burn them down, but <laughs> take my son out of the house first. Like, I, I don't know. So I ended up becoming really close with her, um, For the sake of her son um because at the end of the day like that's his mom you know um
0: well i mean that's good on you for yeah allowing that to happen
1: and for me it was just like you know i didn't have that opportunity like i watched my parents like my biological dad and my mom argue on the phone over stuff that wasn't relevant um and my ex and his son's mom were not friends like they hated each other um and so the only thing for me to do was to make sure that it was a very cohesive environment for him so um at some point we had to do supervised visitation like by the court So that affected me at work because, you know, I worked in town, my ex worked an hour away, so I would have to leave work, go pick his son up from school, take him to the visitation place, come back to work, leave work to pick him up. So like my, my work center was being affected because I was having to leave so much.
0: Yeah. I don't know if it's like that in the civilian side, maybe it is, but in the air force, if you have like something unique that requires you to leave. Uh they don't like that. No. <laughs> like no. You, basically I a
1: markdown on my on my EPR because I wasn't at work enough and I was like but I'm here. I just have to leave to go drop him and pick him up. Like
0: That's what I'm saying. Like they they might they might preach something to you about like, oh, you know, this is important, family first, got it. But I'm telling you um If you start not showing up for whatever, it could be anything, you know, that certain people will really start getting pissed off. And again, I hope that's not a civilian thing. We'll see.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Well, I know like my ex, he was a civilian at the time and he would have to take like half a day or like a whole day off of work and not get paid if his son had stuff to do. So it was just easier for me to do it because – I could just make up the time later, you know, I'll Mm -hmm. just stay this day or come in early this day, but Mm -hmm. it did affect me. Um, And I honestly didn't think it affected me initially, like just like personally, you know, it was just like, take care of business, do what you need to do. Well, then once the court ordered visits stopped, um, then I was the person that supervised the visits. Really? Yeah, because there was still stuff going on with her ex-husband. So she had to have supervised visitation. So I was the person that supervised, but also helped her with her other kids while she wanted to spend time with her son. So I did way more than I needed to do. Um, Yeah, you went
0: above and beyond.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I really you did know, with all
0: the hassling she did for you towards you. Yeah. A lot of people would have just turned around and and hassled her right back and said, "Nope, you're not seeing this kid. I don't support that at all." And you could have made it hell for her. But you and didn't. So it was
1: just like I wanted her son to be healthy and happy and not be stressed, you know, like because in the beginning when I was first dating um my ex, like he would come to their son would come to the house and he'd be like, my mom said she doesn't like you. And I'd be like, well, okay, tell your mom I like her a lot. And she's a great person. Like I, you know, like just, he was five. Like he doesn't know any better, you know? Like, yeah. so it was, it was a little difficult, but you know, I did what I thought was right. And what I thought was best so that he could have that relationship with his mom and not feel like it was a bad thing. You know, not mm-hmm. feel like she was going to be in trouble for wanting to see his mom or whatever. Right. Uh, but with all that going on, um, you know, her ex ended up getting out. He ended up going to prison for a year for beating her. And Jeez. when he got out, um, he had an ankle monitor for a while. But, you know, I had their son all the time. So I was constantly like on guard, checking my mirrors, checking my mirrors, like making sure there wasn't a car behind me. Look um, at this
0: dude wanted to come after you?
1: Yeah, because, you know, it was our fault that all this stuff happened, you know, because because we wanted his, you know, the son. So, um, yeah, I, I struggled. Um, I carried a gun with me every single day. I hated it. Um and then eventually I went and talked to my career field manager and was like I need an assignment. Like I have to get out of here. I'm not safe. Like I don't know what to do and he was like you're coming up on a you know you're coming up you're like next in line. Orders dropped. I didn't get an assignment. And I was just like you've got to be freaking kidding me. Um and then out of nowhere I showed up to work one day and they were like hey you got an assignment, you're moving and I was like what? And they're like, yeah, you're leaving the summer. And that was in March. And in July we left and we moved to England. Um, and that was probably the best thing. Um,
0: I'm glad you left the country.
1: um, Yeah. Like we had to get out of there. I felt so much safer. Um, but I think I held a lot of resentment towards my ex just because he wasn't around and I was the one carrying everything. Um, And we had other issues too, like communication wasn't great. Um, My main priority was his son. So like, it it just was not, not healthy. Mm. Uh, And then we eventually split up. Um, And when we split up, I moved into my own place, but we hadn't decided like if we were getting divorced yet or not. We were overseas, you know, how that goes when you're married to a civilian, like, things are a little bit different. Um, they're still on your orders. They're still sponsored by you, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I moved into a new unit the week that he told me he filed for divorce. Um, and I was not prepared. Um, I went back to work and I was a freaking train wreck. I was crying every day and the unit I was in, I was in a special ops unit um, so 98% males who did not care about feelings. Um, and I really struggled in that unit, um, just because I had pretty much lost everything, you know, like stop seeing my stepson, wasn't a mom, wasn't a wife anymore. Um, and so that of,
0: like your identity, just stripped from yeah. your like overnight.
1: Yep. And that's when my drinking got really bad again like my drinking wasn't that bad. Um, I, I would say now that I look back at it, I did have like, you know, I have pictures that I like, you know, how your pictures come up on your memories. Sometimes mm-hmm. every so often there'll be a picture, a random picture of me just passed out on the floor asleep. Oh god. And like, I look at it now and I'm like, that's embarrassing. But then also, I look at it and think, like, why did my ex husband take this picture of me? Like, that's messed up. Like, right? You know, like, oh, hey, this was you last night. You don't remember anything. And so, when I drank, usually um, I was a blackout drinker. So I would drink to the point of not remembering anything. Um, and I've been like that since I started drinking. So, and what
0: kind of what kind of you know personality do you take on? when you hit that point
1: it just depends so it it would depend on like if I was emotional already if I had stuff going on um sometimes I was an angry drunk sometimes I was emotional drunk and sometimes I was fine um but every time I woke up I would wake up and think like what what happened last night what did I do did I say anything stupid you know like did I, I, my ex would have his back turned towards me and I'd be like, shit, what did I do? Like, I I did something to make him mad, you know, and then not remember it. It's like you have
0: a split personality that just took over.
1: Absolutely.
0: And um, do you remember the movie, The Butterfly Effect? Yes. So when Ashton Kutcher goes into a new version of himself, at first he like doesn't know anything, but then all the memories of that life start flooding in. And yeah. he's like, Oh, Whoa. Oh my God. Like, that's how it is when you're yeah. hungover. over. You're like, Oh, that wasn't that bad. And then you are like, Oh, Oh shit. Yeah. Oh my God. And like, you might have like a black eye or something. <laughs> and then it's like all yeah. these stories and embarrassing moments yeah. start coming back piece by piece. And it, you just get completely mortified.
1: Yeah. And then it's like, like now I, obviously I, I've like read a lot of books and stuff about, you know, alcoholism and whatnot, but like, they call it like, um, anxiety. So like you're hungover, but you have anxiety because you don't remember what happened. That Mm -hmm. was all the time. And I hated it. And then I'd apologize and people would be like, oh, you're fine. Like it happens. It's not a big deal. You know? So then I would think like, oh, this is normal. Like, it's fine. It's not a big deal. Um, and it wasn't until, well, so yeah, I was in England. Right. So all that happened, then COVID happened. So, during COVID, our unit was working one week on, one week off, and we would rotate. So, on my weeks off, I would work out, eat, watch Netflix, and drink until the next day. And I would do that for an entire week because there was nothing else to do.
0: How much were you drinking?
1: Uh, I couldn't even tell you, honestly.
0: Like a six-pack?
1: Uh... No, I was usually drinking like wine or margaritas, but mm. or like lime margaritas. I would drink probably. I love
0: like, lime margaritas.
1: I would. I would probably drink like nine lime margaritas. I
0: love those things.
1: Oh my god! I'm glad that they don't have them here anymore because that was my weakness. Like me too. To shop at and grab two cases and Dude, go. I, home.
0: Yeah, I'd be at. Air, I was stationed at Luke Air Force Base, and I'd be barbecuing. Man, I have like three cans just set up. Crushing them back to back, and it's so it's like I'm a dude. You know, you don't see many dudes crushing them lime And then the strawberry one came out.
1: Hey, they're eight percent those little cans. Yes,
0: they. I I would just feel great. Like it would give me the drunk I was looking for.
1: I would have four, and four would be good. But I would just keep on, like just because, like just because I could, just because that's there was nothing else to do, you know. And not only was it COVID, you know, like I had just gone through that transition of losing who I was. So it was just even
0: worse. So you were alone during all that? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, in England, we had, um, England was really strict. England and Europe, they were very, very strict. So when COVID first started, you couldn't even have people in your car. Like you could only have one other person in your car. Um, so like I moved houses, I had to move on my own because all the movers closed, like everything was shut down. So, um, they eventually said like, you can have a support bubble, but it's like one other household. So I met, um, a family, a British family who ended up, they were my support bubble. Um, they had kids, the ones that I told you I went and saw, um, last week, the kids were like seven and twelve, maybe at the time. And I think that on the weeks that I could go over there, um, saved me, honestly. Um like I was being
0: old, with this family.
1: Yeah, because they had kids and you know, I got I became really close with all of them and they became my family because I had lost all of that. Um and when I first met them, um I was still drinking really bad when I first met them. And I actually called my mom and was like, I need you to get a passport and I need you to come stay with me because all I'm doing is drinking and I'm going to make a bad decision. And you,
0: you already felt that.
1: Yeah. I was already like drinking a lot. I was, Going to the pubs, when the the pubs were open, I would go to the pubs, we could sit outside, I would drink and then I would drive home and somebody would typically follow me home. So like, I would make sure that I got home safe. Like, was it smart? No, it absolutely was not smart. And that- So when you got in
0: the car, like, did you know, like you were pushing it, you were pushing your luck?
1: Um, Yes, absolutely. I knew I was over the limit not like when i got my dui but i was definitely over the limit um and like in england like ciders and you know you're just you're outside it's the summertime like you just start drinking it's you don't feel like you're over the limit but you definitely are um and then so that was 2019 so we got we separated got divorced in 2019 my mom came out um Shortly after my divorce was final and she stayed with me for 10 weeks. Gosh, um, so your
0: mom made, made the trip out to England.
1: I had to fly home and get her, but she was like, okay, like, I, I don't want to fly by myself, but if you come home and get me, like I'll, I'll come. So I flew home, stayed home for five days and then went back and she stayed with me for 10 weeks. It was a long 10 weeks of living with my mother.
0: Yeah, I, I, I want to know how that went for you. Her. Did you regret it? Did it work? Um, like
1: No, I, I had my moments, you know, but I think like when we talk about it now, she made a comment last week about like how far I've come. Like she watched me go through like all of the pain I was going through, you know, and she didn't know how to help me. Like, you know, she'd be like, you need to stop drinking like that. You need to stop, you know, don't be doing this. Don't be doing that. But I wasn't listening to anyone. Like I was just Mm -hmm. hurting and I didn't know what to do. So to not deal with it, I drank. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, she watched me, you know, go in a bathroom and throw up in my house and like pass out in the bathroom. Like, you know, she she watched all that and listening to her now talk about it, like it's pretty sad. Like that she didn't know what to do or how to help me. You know, she just watched me be miserable because she did not know how to help. Um Damn. That same year, earlier in the year right after I had moved out, I made master. So I made master my first time. It took me 5 times to make tech. That freaking took forever. Um and then I made master my first time and I don't know how I made it because I went in there to test and I raised my hand and was like, "Can I please reschedule because I have not slept in 3 days and I think I'm getting divorced." And they let and me
0: like, They let you reschedule.
1: Reschedule. So
0: Yeah, that's great that they did that. For those
1: people that don't know, because they don't ask you, like, if you just say, like, you haven't slept or, you know, when they ask you, like, have you worked a full duty day, those questions, like, they will reschedule you without question. Like, they don't need to know details. As long as you are not lying about feeling ill or whatever, they'll reschedule you without issues. Did you have
0: like a promotion statement or anything?
1: No, I was a, I was a basic promote. Um, I, like I said, I have no idea how I made it. I was shocked. Um,
0: and my career field, as small as it is, if you don't have that promotion statement, it's impossible, it's statistically impossible.
1: Yeah, the small I was career
0: fields get screwed with that system.
1: Yeah. I don't like it. Um, I, I don't, like I said, I don't know how I made it, I. But you did. I did. Um, and that was why I had called my mom to come out because I didn't want to lose my stripe. I was like, I, I, I don't like, I still have, like, I put on the next year in January. So I still had to wait like seven months to put master on. And she was there. I didn't do a promotion ceremony. I didn't do anything. Like, I just did not feel happy for myself at all. I just. I, but, really? Yeah. I. Didn't why? I went to my like to the um, induction ceremony um, and two of my girlfriends went with me because I didn't have anyone to go with me. Like I had a family that I was living separate from and they my ex didn't want to come. So I was just like, uh,
0: so like every celebratory moment sucks.
1: Yeah. yeah, it's just it a painful
0: more- reminder to you that you're alone.
1: Yeah, as you see people walking through, you know, like underneath the swords with their spouse or their kids or whatever. And here I am by myself, like it was shitty, but yeah. I went to just because like, I know my family likes to see stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like my family, they're very proud that I joined the military. Um, so I did it just so that way I had something to show them. Um, not because I wanted to. And then when I had my promotion, like when I actually put on master, uh, my mom was like, are you going to do anything? And I was like, absolutely not. Like, I hate where I work. I don't like the people I work with. You know, my family, I don't have a family anymore. Like my mom's here. My mom doesn't really understand what promotion stuff is. So for me, it was just like, no, I'll just go to work and come home. What, what
0: about the work was, uh, not fulfilling to you?
1: Um, I had, there was a guy that I worked in the same room with that for whatever reason did not like me, um, because you
0: made master your first time.
1: Possibly. Um, and he had been in longer than me. He ended up, they ended up finding a way to give him the stripe at some point. Um, but like he made my life a living hell. I Don't hate. Don't you it. love
0: that when you meet folks like that?
1: It was horrible. I was like I I didn't know what I was doing wrong. I was like what am I doing? Like why And you'll
0: never know. That that's the that's the sad part. When you're in that situation, you'll never know why.
1: And for me it was like not just like that I even wanted to know why, but like the stuff I was going through was hard for me, right? And I'm in this unit where there's three females and these guys are so mission focused that they don't care that you're crying at work or they don't care that you're getting a divorce. Like, yeah, okay. I've been divorced too. Suck it up. Like that's kind of how it was. I'm like, yes, I've been divorced too. Like my first divorce wasn't like this, but my second divorce was life-changing for me, you know, like, I, I was already like 34, 35. Like, I'm like, my whole life is gone. And I have nothing to show for it, is kind of how I felt. Yeah. So, for me, I was miserable. And my ex husband was a civilian that worked on the planes that were sitting outside of the hangar I worked in. So, there were days that I'd pull into the parking lot and his car would be there. And I wouldn't want to get out of the car because I didn't want to have to pass him. You know, like there's just all these little things that would come up that I didn't think would really affect me, but they actually really affected me in the long run. During all of this, I was in counseling. I was in therapy. Um,
0: If that, if that ex-husband tried to, you know, at that time, rekindle a relationship, would you have went for it? Or would you have been opposed to it?
1: Um, no, I don't think I would have. I think we were just way too far. Um, things were said that were probably like unforgivable. Yeah. Like, I mean, I like, you know, I wish him well. And I, I remember when we split up, I, I remember specifically telling him, like, I will probably never love somebody ever again. Like just because of how in love i was with him and just the way it all crumbled and fell apart damn, and i hate me, that
0: that, that yeah, happened to you
1: it was rough it was really yeah. rough like i said i didn't know how to deal with it so i just drank so i didn't have to deal with it
0: damn that's rough yeah. that, that that's hard to hear um and and you had your heart broken too i mean it's just yeah that's painful <laughs>
1: saying like i was perfect in the in the marriage or whatever right like i i definitely said some things and did some things that were probably not good but you know for a very long time i was very very like i don't know focused on my family and you know what was next what was you know how we could keep you didn't you
0: didn't know what life would be like without that No, right. Like that was, that was your life forever. So when that was removed, it was like earth shattering.
1: I remember calling my sisters and saying like, are you guys going to be upset with me if I get divorced again? And they were like, absolutely not. Like if you're not happy, you're not happy. But again, I felt like a failure, you know, it was just like, fuck, I got married a second time and now, yeah, you know, double the time married but now I'm getting divorced again like now what like it's just me and oh by the way in 2020 right after my divorce I had to put my dog down who I had for 12 years so
0: oh geez so
1: like it was just and I just
0: lost my dog like you know what which I put I put on Facebook you know trying to find all her pictures and videos but that shit is way harder and hurts way worse
1: yeah. And I didn't have you
0: ever to... could realize
1: the last two years because I'd moved to England. He was already 11. So I left him with my parents. So I had to fly home. My mom flew home because she was done staying with me. I flew home the next week and I was home for five or six days and literally had to put him down and come right back. And, Damn. and then when I came back, that was when COVID hit. And it was like um, quarantine. So I had just gotten back and I had to, to quarantine for two weeks. So I yeah, was, it was like
0: 14 days at that time. Yeah.
1: yeah. I was miserable. I was like, well, just had all this crap happen Damn. to me. Damn. And yeah, that's,
0: you know, um, when you have that much downtime to think and you're not in a good headspace, that is, that nope. is not a good place to be.
1: Nope. It was not fun. And I, I, know idle but,
0: hands do the devil's work. Have you heard yeah. of that? Yep. That, that shit is true. Especially if you're drinking too much yep. and now you're idle and you're just stuck. It's just you and your thoughts, your regrets.
1: Yep.
0: And that can, that's a slippery slope.
1: Yeah. It was really rough.
0: And so I, what I happened next?
1: Um, then I got my assignments, Germany. So super excited. Um, Drove from England to Germany because you can't actually drive over. Um, So like a bridge
0: or something?
1: They have a ferry and then they have um, a Euro tunnel, which you basically drive into like, they look like um, like 18 wheeler, like the big containers that go on top of the 18 wheeler. Mm -hmm. They look like that. You pretty much drive into it and park your car. And then it's, inside of a train and this train goes under the water for 30 minutes and then you end up on the other side
0: are you on that same train
1: yeah you're sitting inside your car you can't get out
0: what the hell that's crazy
1: yeah, yeah. Dang. but it's, it's a quick 30 minutes it's expensive but it's 30 minutes it's fast and you're in and out wow so that yeah. is that
0: is a cool thing that they have <laughs> on that.
1: Yeah, I took my mom through it when she came. My mom was terrified because she's, like, claustrophobic. Yeah, she's I mean, like, if that cave caves in,
0: I mean, yeah. damn, that's like a nightmare. That's nightmare yeah. fuel.
1: I can't believe it exists, but you can't see anything. Like, I mean, obviously, you're so far underwater, but, like, there's no windows or anything. Like, you can't look
0: They're actually down. just putting you through a teleporter and just not telling you.
1: You can't see anything, so you yeah, don't they're know- just they're just teleporting you get out and you're like, Oh, okay. Now I'm in France. This is cool.
0: Did your mom like England? Was she like, this is cool. I love this place. Or was she like, this place is weird, man. Get me out of here.
1: I think she had a little bit of both. Like she really loved London, obviously. Cause it's like hustle and bustle, big, busy, all that stuff. But like, I think it was the massive culture shock for her. Cause you know, like things close early on Sundays and like, people just hang out. Like It's not like things are open 24 seven to go do. Like, I think it was like a big, like, wow, this is what you do every day. Like, why is your refrigerator so small? And I'm like, well, because we're not like Americans here, mom. (laughs) Like, you only buy what you need.
0: Our country's designed to take your money.
1: Oh, for sure.
0: Right, like it's all centered around that. The hours things are open the size of your fridge. It's all. So you spend more money. Absolutely. That's crazy. Um, I've never been to England. Um, uh, my dad was stationed there though, when he was an airman. He yeah. liked it. He said there's rats everywhere. Um, I mean,
1: I didn't <laughs> see <lived> rats.
0: <laughs> I mean, this is a long time ago. He lived in like a, you know, back in the day, if you were an airman, you were like poor.
1: Yeah.
0: Like, like welfare.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: yeah, and so, yeah, he lived in this, like, rat-infested apartment or something. It was really bad. Um, but, yeah, what 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 is England like? Are the people nice there? Do they think you're weird because you're Americans? Like, what what is that um, like?
1: I think, like, when you're around a base, people just are nice because you've been there. Like, Americans have been there for so long. Um, mm. But it's definitely very different. Like, I mean, their sense of humor is different. Like, you really have to understand, like, who you're talking to to get it. Like, they don't ask, like, how are you doing? They ask, like, you okay? You all right? Like, they never, like, ask you, like, hey, how are you? It's, like, the very first couple interactions I had with somebody that was British, I was, like, what? Yes, of course I'm okay. Like
0: That's what they say in Japan, too. Do they? Yeah, they say, they always say daishabu, which is, like, are you okay?
1: Yeah, that's weird.
0: So maybe we're the weird ones.
1: Maybe it is us. We're like, man,
0: they're assholes. They don't even ask if we're okay. (laughs) What the hell is wrong with these people? Joke.
1: Yeah, it wasn't bad. That was my first time um, living there. I'd been to London once, but didn't really see too much when I went. Um, But Germany, I got my assignment here, and this was my second time. And I promised myself that if I got stationed overseas again, I would do it right. So I did a lot of traveling before COVID. Um, Came over to Germany, um, got here in September of 2021. And that's when all the Afghan stuff was going on. So got here and the flight line was full of people. Um, And so I ended up, the day before I got here, I got a call saying, hey, I know you were supposed to go to this unit, but now you're gonna go to this unit um, because we need you here instead. So the job I went into was a functional manager position. Um, So I was in charge of 22 people, which I was not prepared for because the unit I had just come from, I was in charge of one person as a master sergeant. Um, So I had to like really figure out what I was doing And it was like people problems all day on top of work problems on top of my own problems. And then I should
0: do like a flight chief type of role.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: I think that's the worst. It's the hardest. One of the hardest,
1: most frustrating. And and all of our people were scattered. So there were like eight people in my section and then the other power many were in different units. So like, there's a lot
0: of folks that you notice are shirts now, like it's, they've made it so easy to be one. Like it's really quick now. And there's a lot of people as you, you know, that you've seen our shirts. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm really good friends with one. And she's like, yeah, it's like a million times easier than being a flight chief. Like that's why most people would prefer being a shirt. It's like Um, all the best parts of being uh, in a leadership role and none of the annoying stuff.
1: Yeah. It was hard. I was not prepared. Like, i I made master and put on master in a unit where nobody cared. So I didn't have somebody like to look up to and say, Hey, can you help me with this or whatever? So I just. Was you were on your own as I was going. Yeah. Um, and so I would work. And then when I would get off of work, I would go volunteer. Um, they called them pods. So I was in pod two. Um, I would go there every day after work and on the weekends, um, to volunteer. Um, so each part of the flight line had a different pod is what they called them. So like different sections, but there was the same people assigned to that pod. So like I worked in the mom and baby area. So I gave like handed out diapers and formula and whatever the moms and babies needed, but you're there for hours at a time, you know, so you kind of build a relationship with the people that are there.
0: Is that like a covid thing or or what, what I've never heard no, of that This
1: is, this was when um when
0: the afghan refugees yes.
1: yes sorry i was trying to think yes
0: it was for that Yep. like transporting them
1: Yep and they were here at okay. ramstein for like two or three months before right. they got sent to the states mm-hmm. so um literally I know one
0: spot was like virginia and i think they had one in california
1: I think in you New know. Mexico too. Like they got kind of spread out. Um, but while they were here, you know, they only they could only do so much. Like they were in a hangar. You know what I mean? Like there was food and they had like a big screen TV that they would play movies on for the kids. But it was like literally they were either in their tent or in the hangar. And it Is was that how you
0: got the humanitarian.
1: Yeah. Oh, Nice. Yeah. So it was, it was a, it was a hard time, but it was like, I'm glad I, I experienced it. Um, But also it was very sad, you know, like I just, there were so many people that like just came from different parts of Afghanistan and like, just, you know, like some of them would talk to us about like, you know, some people were really well off in Afghanistan and now they're living in a tent with, six other families you know and then there were some not so well off people who like would poop in the middle of the street like it it was just craziness like trying oh. to understand like where everyone was coming from and trying to you know people didn't some of them didn't speak english we had to have translators so it it was a lot like there were people like hoarding stuff like because we would, you know, they would get donations of clothes and stuff, and each person could only get so much clothes.
0: The spouses set a lot of stuff up there for that.
1: Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so did the first sergeant. The first sergeant did a lot.
0: Did you know a, a lady named Heba Abdullah? I don't think so. Oh, okay. She, she was everything you're describing, like she described it to me before, too. Um, so that's a lot of work, you know. Um, was that more so that you're not alone, that you had a little more purpose? Like what yeah. what drove you to do all, all that? that?
1: I didn't want to be home by myself. Um, and, you know, I felt, I felt needed. I felt like I mm-hmm. had, like, if I didn't go one day and then I'd show up the next day, like there would be kids that would be like, you didn't come yesterday. Like, where were you? And I'd be like, oh, I had to do this or I had to do that. But it was just like, oh, they noticed I wasn't here. Like, this is sweet. You know, like I'm going to come back and they'd give me like little pictures and, you know, they'd color and whatnot. And it was just like nice to feel like, okay, like I have something here. Like I can come here and I can help and I'm not sitting at home drinking. So my drinking wasn't really bad when I got to Germany because I was so busy. Like Um, you
0: knew that was a healthier route for you. Yeah.
1: And I wouldn't say it was probably healthy, but it was healthier than drinking. Um, That was in September. And I think they were all gone by the end of October. And then my drinking got started going up again. And then in February 22, um, we had a new inbound person that had just arrived and I was, taking that person around to look at houses and whatnot. And I was just like venting about work. And Uh-oh. Um, we went to go have lunch and we were talking about like how we were gonna do things because that person was gonna be like my number two, you know, so it was like, okay, let's go grab something to eat. So we sat down to eat and I had a glass of wine. That was where it started. I had a glass of wine, I had a margarita, And then I had a Long Island iced tea. Wait, this is. Why would I do that? I don't know. I just did.
0: Wait, this is during like a lunch?
1: Yeah. So we weren't at work the entire day because I was like, you know, taking her, you know, to housing and then going to finance. And like, so we weren't in uniform. Like we were just out running errands and doing all the normal in processing stuff. So. Did she,
0: did she find that like odd?
1: no because she had just come from Korea so you know wasn't a big deal and I drove home from that restaurant and I should not have driven home like I know now that I was definitely already tipsy and over the limit and I shouldn't have drove but I drove anyway and then I got home and she was still with me and um we just continued drinking so we started drinking probably around 1 PM. And then at this point it was, I mean, we had been at the restaurant hours before I finally drove home. And then for another hour and a half, we just kept drinking and at 6 30 PM. So my dog was at the time going to doggy daycare and they close at seven. So I lived 30 minutes away. So at 6 30, my phone, my alarm went off on my watch and I was like, Oh crap, I got to go get my dog.
0: Okay, but, well, at this point, you're you're hammered, right? Because this has gone on for hours. Like, you, did, did she say, hey, like, there's no way we can go get this dog? Like, that's I don't crazy.
1: Remember. I don't remember. don't remember. She says that she told me not to drive, but she was in the car with me. So, you know, I don't know.
0: Oh, my gosh. This is the DUI moment. I, I expected it to be like a party bar situation.
1: Middle of this the was week. to
0: pick up your middle of the week, unexpected, completely random. Yep. And it was to get your dog from doggy daycare. Yep. Holy shit. That is not what I expected
1: at all. Yep. I drove seven minutes um through two villages. Not sure how I did it. Don't remember doing it. Um, I remember getting to the stop sign and making a left-hand turn. Mm -hmm. And as I was making that left-hand turn, I went to change the song on the radio. And when I did that, I missed a turn and basically just flew off the side of the road and crashed my car.
0: Holy shit.
1: Brand new car, had it for four months. It was totaled. Um, when we wrecked, I didn't even realize we had wrecked. Like I put my car in reverse to try to move. Like and you my, were
0: trying to just, you're like, oh, that's weird. Let me just get out of this little spot and keep on driving.
1: Yeah. And my car was like, and then I, that's when I was like, oh shit. And I was like, get out, get out, get out. Like that's like, what I.
0: So the panic set in when you realized you're a sitting duck. Yeah. Oh my God.
1: We got out i couldn't get out on the driver's side so i had to climb over to the passenger side and like i said i had run off the road so you know germany everything where i live was back road so it's like twisty turny and farm fields basically so i was in like a farm field and i had to climb up like a dirt area to get to the main road and somebody- so
0: you just so i'm tracking just so you can paint the picture for me uh-huh. you go to change the radio and instead of turning, you just go straight. Yep. And just off into a ditch or something.
1: Yep. I hit a tree.
0: You hit a tree. Yep. Wow. Did y'all have your seatbelts on?
1: We're super fucking lucky. Right. Super lucky. Um, I didn't hit anyone. My passenger was fine. I had a big bruise on the back of my leg and a cut on the back of my leg, but that was it. Nothing else happened, and I think that was just for me trying to get out of the car, not from like the actual accident. And then in Germany, if you witness an accident, you have to stop and call the police. So somebody saw me, pulled over, and when I got to the top of the road, she was like, An ambulance is coming, and I was just like, No, no, no. And like after this, I just remember bits and pieces. Um, but they're like. An ambulance came. A fire truck came. The German police showed up. Um, the American police, the so security forces, um, on the everybody side. Yep, and the army side. Um,
0: Good God!
1: Yeah, it was. The road was shut down for three hours.
0: That's a little dramatic.
1: Because they couldn't get the car out. And they had to do an investigation on like what happened in that area. So they shut the entire road down. Well, Even it though- sounds
0: like they knew the something was afoot.
1: Oh, yeah. So um, I obviously reeked. Um, Real quick. Yeah.
0: I want to know at what point in all this did you think, holy shit, I'm drinking and driving and I'm about to get screwed. Like what the hell am I thinking? What? When did that hit you?
1: It wasn't until the lady said that she called the police or that she called an ambulance. And that's when I started crying. And I was like, no, no, no. Like, you know, I'm so sorry. Like, I'm so like, I just kept saying I'm so sorry. Like, that's all I remember saying. And just saying I was sorry. And I was just crying. Um, Were you
0: convinced that you were caught or did you think there might be? Oh yeah.
1: No, I, I knew I was done. Um, I was drunk. Um, they So in Germany, the way they do it here, because they just do whatever they want here. If you didn't know, Germans, German pulls, I don't have to have a reason to pull you over. They can just stop you just because they feel like it. Obviously, I crashed my car, so they're already there. But um, they put me in an ambulance and made me do a breathalyzer, um, did that. Um, then I got transported downtown to the German police station where they made me do blood and urine.
0: You they, didn't go to a hospital first.
1: They didn't take me to a hospital at all.
0: <laughs> yeah. You had like a neck problem. They didn't care. Jeez.
1: I didn't think about it until like the next day I was like, they didn't even ask me if I wanted to go to the hospital. Like, uh, maybe they did. I don't remember, but the next thing I remember, like, I remember peeing in the cup. Um, and I had to sign a piece of paper that basically said, like, my driving privileges were suspended. They physically took my driver's license. Um, at what that, point did
0: they say, Hey, you have a DUI that like you were driving drunk, uh, breathalyzer?
1: um, no, I, I don't think I realized it until I had to sign the paper that said, like, your driving privileges are now revoked. And that's when I was just like, I'm, I'm screwed. Um, and then the whole way from the local police station to the German or to the base police station, I was just crying and just saying, I'm sorry, the whole way there. Um, and then while I was at the base station, I had to do another breathalyzer, um, which I didn't understand why I had to do another one because they had already done one and the blood and urine, my first breathalyzer test that I took, which was probably around 7.30 PM. I blew a 0.257 and the limit in Germany is a 0.05. So I was way over, um, 0.3, I think is like, you're not awake. Um so wow. I don't really remember. You were right anything.
0: on the cusp of blackout drunk.
1: Yeah. I don't remember a lot. Um I just remember like being a train wreck and just crying and being upset and Oh, by the way, the day that this happened is the day that all the the Ukraine Russia stuff started. So my supervisor is Launching aircraft while he's waiting for me to get released from security forces. So now I'm impacting the mission as well. Mm. So it it just wasn't good. At all I mean, I had my troop with me, you know, way over the limit. And you that
0: new you were that new person.
1: Yeah. And my dog, you know, stayed at doggy daycare anyway. Like
0: you couldn't go get the dog.
1: No. So he ended up staying there anyway because I couldn't go. So I lost my driving privileges for a year here in Germany. I lost a stripe. So I was a master, now I'm a tech. Um, but that was my my only um, punishment. I didn't lose any additional pay. I didn't have a control roster UIF. Um, my commander thought that was the best action to take. Um, so
0: was that because you're a master sergeant It was your first mistake or what, why do you think you didn't get the UIF and all that, all the bells and whistles?
1: Yeah, I think because I hadn't been in trouble and because, um, I still help, um, my sisters sometimes when they need money. And I put that in my, in my paperwork was like, I send money home to my family. Um, to help support them when they need it. And so my commander was like, he took all of that into consideration. Um, I had a lot of character statements. Um, 26 people wrote character letters for me and I turned in 12. Um, and he took all that into consideration and, you know, I, I got a punishment that, I didn't want, like, I wanted everything, but my stripe taken, you know, like take all the money you want, but let me keep my stripe. Like that was all I wanted because I didn't really want people to know that I had gotten a DUI initially, you know, I would go into the BX and I just felt like I had this huge sign over my head. That was like, this idiot got a DUI last night. Like, you know, Um,
0: it's a, it's a, it's physical proof. Something happened that you can't hide.
1: Yeah. And I, 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 mean, I didn't eat for like two weeks. I just couldn't eat. Like, I just felt so sick. And I was just like, I could have killed someone. And I think that was, for me, really hard to like digest because, you know, there's people in Germany, people are outside all the time, walking dogs, walking themselves, walking with their kids. Like, how did I make it through two villages without hitting something? Like, and... I was pretty much untouched, you know, my passenger was okay. I was okay. So like, I I couldn't really ask for anything else other than like, you know, please spare me. And it sucks that I got a stripe taken, but at least I'm alive and I'm making it to retirement as a tech, but I'm still making it to retirement. Um, and that was a really hard pill to swallow. Um, and I stopped drinking for about five months. I went to ADAPT and I was in counseling. Um, I stopped drinking for about five months. And then the very first wine festival I went to, after I started drinking again, I got hammered. And I woke up the next morning, like, why did I do that to myself? And it's just like, when you go to these festivals here, people buy you know, bottles of wine at a time. And the minute your glass is empty, somebody's pouring you another glass. And I didn't know how to say no. Like I was just one of those. I was like, okay, whatever, I'll drink it. Um, And that should have been an eye opener for me, but it wasn't. My birthday came around. Christmas came around. um, New Year's came around. I have a really hard time during December because it's my birthday Christmas, and then my stepson's birthday is the 27th of December. And so like, I have a really hard time just like coping in December. So I usually just drink or I hide and just stay in my house. Um, so on new years, I got really drunk and a friend of mine took a picture of me because she thought it was funny. And i I didn't think it was funny. I felt very embarrassed. And, you know, she apologized and said, like, I, I didn't do it to, like, embarrass you. I thought it was funny. What were and you doing in the picture? I was half in my door, in my front door, and half in the stairwell. So, like, I had basically unlocked my door and just, like, thrown myself on the floor, face down. And,
0: and they're like, this will be a funny photo. Yeah. Yeah. Did you and know right then they took the photo, or photos as a conversation later?
1: Was the next day.
0: So they showed you.
1: Yeah. And I, I hid from them for a couple days. And I was just like, I'm not, like, I shouldn't be drinking like that. Like, I don't really remember the night. Like, I don't remember even coming home. Like, I just, I felt horrible. And then. Yeah, because that
0: you got, I mean, that's how you got in hot water in that first place. You know, yeah. you. You turn into this other person yep. who's making horrible decisions. It's not yeah. you that's making the calls anymore. It's someone yeah. else. So it's like an alter yeah. ego.
1: What would have happened if if I would have killed someone? You know what I mean? Like I wouldn't have remembered it. Like how yeah. should that to like kill someone or seriously injure someone and not even have any recollection of it? Like
0: It's if- like you didn't even do it.
1: No. So that was in January. I had another one of those nights in like March and then I had another one in June and the one in June really, for whatever reason, um, really made me like, that was when I was like, I need help. Because I started thinking like how many times since I started responsibly drinking again, have I been in a blackout state? And five fingers was enough for me to go, okay, I need help. Were Um, all
0: those blackout states uh, at party scenarios or at your house alone? They're all like going out.
1: with People. Yeah. And most of them were here at my house, but people were here, you know, and it was just like, Oh, I'm safe. I'm in my own space. Like, it's not a big deal. But when I really stop and look back at how many nights, like, even in the past 15 years, you know what I mean? Like how many nights I've been like that, That there's one too many. And Mm -hmm. I should have stopped a long time ago, but I didn't. Um, so that June one, I had, um, gone to a a little festival down the street from my house and money because I was like, I'm not going to buy any drinks while we're there. I had one beer on the way down and When I woke up in the morning, I couldn't tell you how much I had to drink because we ran into friends and they had wine and we just started drinking. And I don't remember. I don't remember walking home. And, you know, I live on the main street in the town I live in. And it's like, what if I would have fallen into the street? What if somebody would have snatched me? Like, you know, I don't, what if I would have, Got hit by a car, like just all of these what ifs that started to scare me. So I got a hold of ADAPT and asked them to self-refer back in. And then when I went and talked to the tech at ADAPT, um, they asked me if I had ever dealt with the trauma that I had been through in my life because they were asking questions and you know, I was like, Yeah, I've been to therapy before. And, you know, I was like, I was in therapy last year and they're like, hadn't talked about this, hadn't talked about that. And I was like, well, no, you know, like there are all these things that I've been through that I didn't ever talk about and had to deal with them when I went to inpatient. Um, I did not want to go to inpatient. Um, it was 28 days. I was there for 30 because they can only release on certain days, but, um, it was intense. And I was not when you say
0: when you say inpatient, you mean this is when you flew stateside.
1: Yep. Yeah.
0: Right. Um, was that like a mandatory thing? Do they like offer it? Like how did how did yeah. that become the, the decision?
1: It was just recommended. So when I talked to the tech about like, you know, they asked like when you start drinking and like when when do you drink? And they ask you all these questions. Um and they kind of like dig a little bit deeper. And that's when the tech was like, you know, I think that your primary problem is unresolved trauma and not like that. You're an alcoholic, like your alcohol problems come because you have unresolved trauma. Um, and their recommendation was to go to inpatient and I didn't want to. Um, at the time I wasn't talking to my mom or my dad. Um, I was talking to my biological dad who also went through very similar situations with his drinking in his 20s and also went to inpatient for, I think he went for six months um, while he was in the Marine Corps. Maybe it was three months. Um, But he was like, you need to go. This is going to be the best thing for you. And so I agreed to go.
0: And that's when we talked for the first time. And that's why I called you. I was like, are you okay? Like, yeah. what is happening?
1: It was a lot. And I mean, like, when I when I first started, like, after my DUI, you know, I was I was speaking out in public about like, my DUI and what happened and whatnot. But like, I never really talked about some of the things that I've been through in my life that have all like, kind of just been shoved deep down where I just was like, "Ah, I'll deal with it later or, Oh, it's not a big problem. I won't think about it. Like I'll just do something else instead, but it all resurfaces at some point, you know, um, I don't think I realized that until, you know, this came along and, um, yeah, it was, it was difficult. The inpatient, it, it was a, it was a civilian hospital, but it was a program for military members. So, um, you know, they were pretty used to dealing with military. Um, I loved my therapist there. He was great. Um, What's,
0: what state was this then?
1: Utah.
0: It was in Utah. Yeah. Oh, wow. And, and what was the facility? Like, Ugh. what did it looked like?
1: It was like jail, honestly.
0: <laughs> oh, so it was very plain. Very.
1: Yeah. We couldn't have shoelaces on our shoes. Um, wow. If you wanted, so it's
0: very controlled.
1: Yeah. If you wanted to shave your legs, like a uh, nurse or a tech had to stand there and watch you shave your legs. Like it, you couldn't, we didn't have our cell phones until like the last week I was there. They gave them to us two times a week for 30 minutes. Um, but that was like to call your family and to pay bills, but we had a phone in the unit so we could call, um, wherever we needed to during whatever times we were available, but therapy was, I mean, it's every day, all day long. Like, Is that
0: group therapy?
1: So, yeah, you had, we had group therapy every day and it was different kinds of group therapy. And then we had individual set, two individual sessions a week with our therapists. Wow. So And it, it was. Many, like,
0: these, were these all active duty guard reserve people or are they past veterans, retirees?
1: They were all, um, they're
0: all serving.
1: Yeah. Yep
0: did you, when you, you know, started hearing all these stories, were you like, man, these people are just like me? Or were you like, man, these people are way worse than me. Like what, what, what was the vibe you got?
1: I felt like we all had very similar issues. Um, a lot of us had issues with our parents, um, like childhood trauma. Um, and then, a lot of others, um, to include myself, um, military sexual trauma. Um, and for me, like that was not something that I opened up about until I went back to ADAP the second time. Like I'd never told anybody about what happened to me because I was so embarrassed and I was drunk. And I didn't want people to look at me like, oh, well, you were drunk. Like, you know, that's you know, I just yeah. And and it was so long ago. Like it was when I first joined the military and, you know, back then the way things were compared to now, um, like how, you know, victims are treated very differently compared to back in the day, like I didn't want to say anything back then, like there was just no reason for me to say anything, you know, in my, in my opinion, but really it ended up affecting me in the long run. And when I came back to Germany and started therapy with my therapist again, um, the first thing she told me was like, when I went into her, cause I, I saw her for about a year, the year prior. And she was like, you barely scratched the surface. Like it was all superficial stuff that I talked about in therapy. And it wasn't until I came back from the trauma treatment where I actually started opening it up and telling her what was going on with me. And she was like, you present well, like, I wouldn't think you would have all this stuff going on. And I was just like, yeah, I'm kind of, I guess kind of how I was raised, you know, like you suck it up and continue like it happened. There's nothing you can do about it. Move on. And that's what I did for all these years. And it finally just caught up to me. Wow. Yeah.
0: That is intense. And I hate, it always breaks my heart hearing stories like that too. Like when you're, when you're young, you're new, someone takes advantage of you because when we first joined, that was like out of control. Yeah. Like it was like, I mean, it was just out of control. And um, it happened to like friends of mine. You know, and like basic training. Um, you know, because that's what we went through the wild west of basic training times where like there were no rules. Yeah. You know. Um
1: true.
0: and like I remember being in Guam and like a lot of the girls having to get sent back to testify. Yeah. Like that was a common thing to see with like new airmen females. Um, and my one of my great friends, I won't say her name or anything. Um, but she was like, to me, like the perfect airman, like she was going to go do great things. And, uh, yeah, she was assaulted at her first base and it changed her whole life. Yeah. And I remember like thinking so highly of her and, you know, when she told me, I didn't even know what to say. It was just like, what? Like that, that can't happen to you. Like it was heartbreaking.
1: For me, it was like, I just pretended it never happened. You know?
0: Well, that and was, that's how you cope with it.
1: I, I told one, I, now that I think about it, I told, I told my second husband about it, um, and it was really awkward. And so I was like, I will never say anything about this ever again, because it was so uncomfortable. It was just like, okay, well, this is weird. Like what now?
0: Right. He so was the, uh, he wasn't a good first person to tell damn yeah this place in Utah um you know for anyone that's like there could be people listening to this episode that's like seeking this specifically out
1: yeah
0: um so and they might be on the fence about going to ADAPT and doing everything you did um so I was hoping you could like run us through like if you thought it was worth it um and what benefits or insights you got out of that experience
1: Yeah. Um, I definitely think it was helpful. So I, this is my second time going through ADAPT. So the first time I went through ADAPT, like I was very interested in learning because I didn't understand, like, there's so many facts about, you know, being an alcoholic and what alcoholism is. And like, if you have one family member, like you're, I don't know, 20%. Um, like 20% more whatever to become like now likely
0: while. to be an addict.
1: Yeah. right? And then if you have two people in your family, then it's like tripled. Like mm-hmm. that threw me off. When I read that, I was like, Whoa, like if I would have known this, like maybe 10 years ago, I would have slowed down, you know, like, mm-hmm. I just didn't know the facts. So I was very, um, interested in learning. Um, ADAP also does like one-on-one counseling with an ADAP technician. Um, And then you do group therapy sessions, like group alcohol sessions about like, you know, if someone is pressuring you to drink, how do you tell them no, like those kinds of scenarios. So um, I thought it was beneficial um, because everyone I'm around typically is a drinker. So for me I kind of learned when to say no. Um so like after my DUI I would not get in the car with anybody that had alcohol. If I drank, I would not drive. Um I carried a breathalyzer on my keychain. Um and if any of my friends were at my house and drink, I made them blow into it before they left. And I'm sure they hated it, but I was so terrified that it was going to happen to someone else that I wanted to make sure I did everything in my power to prevent it. Um, and then going to this place in Utah, um, I thought it was great. Um, I actually, was given multiple locations. So there was a place in Phoenix, a place in Utah and a place in Texas. And, um, those were the the top three that were recommended And the one I went to was a women's program. So they had a men's section and a women's section. And um, I just thought it was easier than having like a co-ed type of group. Um, I felt more comfortable sharing what was going on with me, Um, but it was really hard. Um, The homework assignments were hard. Um, Like I had to write a letter to my younger self that was like my first assignment. And it was, I mean, I had to read it out loud in front of everyone and I was just balling. Um,
0: do you still have that letter?
1: I do. It's actually on my Facebook. Really? Uh, yeah. I posted it on there probably right after I got out. Um, I'll i will send it to you. I'll look for it. But um, yeah, I had to write. That was my very first assignment. And I was just like, Are you serious right now? And I have to read this out loud. Like,
0: what a unique experience too. Where like, you're not doing anything else but focusing on you. Yeah, that that's not a thing we ever get to do in the military.
1: It was so hard. Um, You get like ten minute breaks in between each like you know section of the day or whatever, Um, and then at night you get free time, but you're supposed to be in bed by like ten o'clock. Um, and I literally struggled to write stuff that was nice about myself. Like it was very, very hard. Like I had to ask for help, like from the people in the program, like, um, on some of the homework assignments. I was like, I just don't know how to reframe my thought. And they're like, well, you're this, you're that you're the, and I was like, oh, you're right. I am. But like. I couldn't say those things about myself, especially because I was dealing with so much in such a short period of time. Like I didn't want to leave at the 28th day. I was like, I have a lot of shit to like unpack here. Um, but they were like, you know, you'll go back and you'll go back into therapy and you work with it, you know, you work with your therapist on it. And because I was so open the second time around, I feel like I learned so much more about myself and i quit drinking so i think because i quit drinking that has helped me tremendously um i'm almost 8 months sober so
0: well, congrats to you thanks i'm super proud yeah. of you
1: it was it was a difficult decision and it's hard like you know being in the military everything is revolved around drinking like promotion party You know, there's all these little things that you celebrate, you drink, or you're frustrated, you have a bad day, you're going to have a drink, like, you don't realize how much it actually affects you until you're kind of like at your lowest point. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was very beneficial. Um, I think I'm a happier person. It's been very hard to tell people like, no, I'm not going to go places because I don't want to make my friends upset, but also like, I'm not going to go to a wine bar where there's no food and just wine and hang out. Like,
0: Like the not. entire concept is to drink.
1: Yeah. Like no. You I know. mean,
0: it, and it's so common in our culture, in the military culture, that if you, if you don't drink, you're the weirdo. Yeah. So like you might lose friends because yeah, like,
1: it's weird when people ask like why I don't drink, then I'm like, well, you ask. Have drinking
0: problems? Like, like, like how much time you got?
1: I, um, I know. you know, I, I did
0: lose some friends when I stopped. Um And yeah. you know, I think it's the people that they wanted to stop too. You know, mm-hmm. and they don't want to be reminded of they could be doing something wrong, right? Yeah. Like, so seeing you is like a reminder of what they wish they could do. So I, I lost a few friends from from that. Yeah. And because I was awkward, like, I had to figure out how to not be awkward. Like, I was relying on drinking for all my confidence, all my energy, all of that. Um, And then to not have it, it was like, well, what the hell do I say? Like, what do I? Yeah. Like, I never stopped and thought about, like, my opinions on things or who I was, um, things I want to talk about like when you're yeah. drunk you're on like autopilot.
1: Yeah, you just say whatever do whatever and nobody cares. Right. right. Yeah. I don't know. I I don't think I will drink again. Um my sister, two of my sisters aren't drinking. They quit drinking as well. Um my youngest sister, she's 26, you know, she's not not like I was and, you know, there's nothing wrong with it if you make sure you're not making dumb decisions, but I remember, um, like, I left inpatient, and I told you I wasn't talking to my parents. So I spent a night in Dallas, where I'm from, um, one night on my way back to Germany. And so I met up with my sisters, and we had dinner. And then I was like, can someone take me to mom and dad's? Um, and I went and told my parents that I got inpatient. And both of them were like, what? Is, why? What? What happened? What's wrong? And I was like, you know, like there's just a lot of things that I didn't deal with. And my mom just like, they didn't get it. You know what I mean? Like the initial reaction was just like, why? I don't understand. Like, why would you go do that?
0: I mean, think of their views is to not say it. Right. Yeah. So for you to not only say it, but then ask for help. I mean, from their perspective, that's crazy. Like, why? You know what I mean? Like that's going to be embarrassing. You're going to feel shameful. Uh, You know, all that's enough for, for them and, and their views to that, that would cross the line, you know? Yeah,
1: absolutely. I mean, I, I was home one year and I was like, do you guys understand what generational trauma is? And both of them were like, we don't care. We don't want to hear it. And it's just like, it's okay. So I will say now, you know, it's been eight months since I stopped drinking seven months since I went to inpatient, Um, you know, I talked to my mom earlier in the week and I was telling her that I was, I was driving home from a doctor's appointment and I just had like this weird sense of like contentment, like I'm happy. And I've never, never really felt that way before, right? Like not sober, not driving home from a doctor's appointment. I just felt happy and I felt good. And I was like, this is weird. Like. And my mom was like, you know, honestly, she had just been talking to someone else about, you know, what had happened to me. And she was like, as much as the DUI sucked, she's like, I really think you needed that to happen for you to really see what was going on and for you to get some help. And she told me like how proud she was of me for going and, you know, how much she sees a difference in me. And that meant a lot because my parents... You know, they talk about stuff that they're proud of, which is like, oh, my daughter's in the Air Force for 20 years, you know, like all these things that people can see, but never really about like feelings or emotions. Like we didn't grow up talking about stuff like that. So it was nice to hear that from my mom.
0: Damn, you earned that. Yeah. That's amazing.
1: Yeah. Wow. We've been on a whirlwind
0: (laughs) of a conversation. My God.
1: Yeah. That a was a that
0: was a lot. We've been talking for two hours.
1: That's it's loud. 1220
0: where I'm at, 1220 in the morning. Well, it's
1: 7 19 in the
0: morning here. <laughs> so you're just getting your day started and I'm like, I need to go to bed. Yeah. But Amanda, probably- I do wanna I do want to tell you, um uh, I, I think you're basically a superhero. Um, I mean, even like I've can relate with a lot of your trauma. Um, and wow, you, you were not at a good starting line when, when you went about your adult life and you, you had to learn the hard way. You had to take that, that path where it's trial and error and there's a lot of errors. Um, but you're very resilient. Like you're very tough. Um, most, of those things you know if even one of those things happen to someone they might be in a worse and worse shape than you yet collectively with all these things that you you've dealt with like you're still going like you haven't quit and i think that says a lot about you so i'm proud of you um and i think a lot of people are going to be super inspired by your story because although you had a, a difficult start and A lot of painful realizations, close calls, embarrassing moments, all those things. Um, But you've, instead of running away from you, you stopped and you faced them head on. And you are kicking ass. Like you're living your life. You're sober. You're content. You're happy. And you've earned all that. And uh, you went from the lowest of lows to you're about to retire after 20 years. Like (laughs) you made it. You still made it to the finish line. Despite all the obstacles. Yep. So with that, Amanda, do you have any final thoughts for the listeners who stayed with us for the entire two hours?
1: Yeah, I would just say, you know, if you even have like the tiniest little thought about needing help with alcohol or therapy, look into it. Don't be scared to go do it because, you know, it's just going to come back around.
0: What would your advice be on trauma?
1: Deal with it. (laughs) Um, Deal with it. um, And know that you're going to overcome it eventually. Like, it may take some time, but stick with it
0: you know that you you said you learned a lot about yourself
1: yeah
0: what what you know if someone were to pursue being honest with themselves and willing to open up finally you know what what are some things you learned about yourself like what what does that even look like
1: um for me it was knowing that i was always a different person when i drank um you know i'm i'm a massive extrovert I'm very independent. Um, You know, I'm, I I will be friends with anyone. I will talk to anyone. Um, But in those moments where I had trauma like in the forefront of my mind, I was never actually me, you know? Um, And I just didn't feel good. I was never 100% me. And now that I've gone through a lot of this, like I I know I'm not hundred percent healed, but I'm in the process of healing and it feels good. Like it just feels different.
0: Wow. It's like you've I mean, yeah, that's beautiful. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that and everything tonight. I mean, my God, I went on an emotional roller coaster of a journey of all things Amanda's life and I mean, I, I kind of knew what to expect a little bit, but you still like surprised me. There's many twists and turns. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Yeah. And you know, I'm right there with you. Uh, I haven't been drinking for, I think about six years now. So yeah, there's certain times where, yeah, it, it you, you're reminded why you drank in the first place. Like you, you know there it, life doesn't get easier you just get better at handling it yeah. um but there are those moments where you'll be like that's why i would drink like this moment this situation like i
1: hadn't felt like that until this week like uh it was last week when i went to england like it wasn't even like a bad thing that happened it was just like me walking kind of like a deja vu moment like walk walking through the grocery store and i was like Oh, a cider would be good right now. You know, like not that Mm -hmm. I even wanted to drink just because I was back in that space. Mm -hmm. that I was so used to doing that when I went into that grocery store, like it was weird.
0: No, I, that's a real thing. I'm going to my buddy, uh, Ronnie, he's retiring. Um, I've known him since basic training, best friend of mine. And as soon as like we set this trip up for me to go to his retirement, like my mind went straight to drinking because like he was in Guam with me, like when all that started, like, like my mind went straight to partying.
1: Yeah. You know, if, if you didn't know, um, one thing for people to know. So I get an injection every month. Um, it's called Vivitrol and it's to help stop your alcohol cravings. Really? Um, yeah. So there's like actual medication out there for people that may need it. Um, I also was prescribed anabuse, um, and an is it's a pill that you take every day. I'm not taking it yet, but it's a pill that you take every day. And if you touch alcohol, you get violently ill.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: So I have my medication with me for when I retire, because I'm going into unknown territory, you know, and Mm -hmm. I don't want to fall back into that space. And my doctor and inpatient, um, was like, I, I think it would be beneficial for you to take these, um, because you have a hard time saying no. And if you take them, it's a medication and it will make you sick. So I was like, absolutely, I will take them. And you can't even like they say if alcohol even spills on you, you get sick.
0: Whoa. Yeah. That is wild.
1: Yeah. So, you know, we were talking about something. You're talking we're talking about going through the grocery store and stuff. Like
0: mm-hmm.
1: you have those dreams where like you wake up and think, like, did I drink last night? Because I still have dreams like that where I'm like, was I drinking? And I have to like really focus on where I was at because it was, it's that real of a dream. Mm-hmm. So absolutely.
0: Wow. Yeah. It's still yeah. a part of you forever. It doesn't just go away. Um, yeah. you just, you know, you, you, you really grow though, when you're forced to get in your right, sober mind, think through things like that. That's the lessons learned. That's where your, your brain, you know, rewires itself. Yeah. When you're you know, when we were like drinking all that time, we were essentially putting all that on pause. You were basically going in a damn time capsule and not growing at all. Absolutely. Right. So all right, Amanda. Um, I want you to 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 start your day and <laughs> I'm going to end my day. <laughs> Cause we're on two different parts of the world. But just want to thank you again for your your transparency, your vulnerability. Um I I just think you're an incredible person. I think your story is going to inspire so many people. And we're all rooting for you. I'm definitely rooting for you. If you ever need anything, anyone to talk to, you know, because I know how it is, please wow. don't ever hesitate. Why is there fireworks going off?
1: I don't know. I was going to ask you that earlier.
0: All right, everybody. This was the hero's journey of Amanda Martinez. And we're out.